Welcome to the Save Room, your safe haven for gaming news and discussion, as hosted by your favorite spooky boys, me, Kevin. And me, Daniel. Daniel, how are you? I'm doing good, my spooky co-host. Are you feeling spooky? Are you feeling the season alive? So, to be honest, I've, I've said this quite a few times this week, I feel like I really haven't done anything like really festive or autumnal like i have a lot of friends who are going to like pumpkin patches or like cutting up jack-o'-lanterns and doing all shit and like i 20 days in i feel like i've barely done anything like that the closest i got is like playing resident evil 7 and then most recently uh watching the haunting of hill house okay yes i finished the series i just watched the last episode last night fucking brilliant it's so dude. good it's such a gripping and like enrapturing show but it, it's it's not don't expect it to be this like new age horror sort of jobby deal mm. like weird annihilation slash hereditary or hereditary is it hereditary yeah it's hereditary yeah shit I, it is a very kind of classical character driven um haunting story mm-hmm. it's so fucking well done and then the so it centers on the family and the family is fucking great dude i just the interplay they each get an episode unto themselves i i was tweeting about it as i am wont to do Mm -hmm. uh that it is one of those few shows that can fucking just rattle your shit as well as you making you like cry it has this emotional drive to it, man. It definitely takes you on a roller coaster and has you at your throat the whole time. Right. And I didn't know it was going to do some of the character uh, pieces that it did because, like, they definitely intro the family in the first episode, but I didn't realize until the second that I'm like, okay, each episode is kind of, like, self-contained about one of the siblings or then later on about the father. Um, and it kind of goes mm-hmm. back and forth between their variations and versions of what happened in the house and how they've dealt with the aftermath. And it's really cool how they handle it. Dude, the twins are my favorite. The twins are my favorite. Nell and Luke. God. Oh, Luke's episode alone was just fucking art. I was so impressed. I was already invested in the show like three episodes in, but I think that's episode four and then Nell, his twin, uh, is episode five. Yeah. And like if I wasn't invested by that point, like I'm sure as fuck like strapped into the end now. Are you at the uh, the funeral episode yet? I think that's episode six, yeah. Okay, so you haven't watched that yet? No. Oh, I won't spoil anything. It is a brilliantly shot episode. They do very long one takes, mm-hmm. like uh, kind of akin to Children of Men okay. as being the cornerstone of super long one shots. Like this episode, it breaks it up between like, you know, it's because it still does that, you know, uh, going in the past versus being in the present sort mm-hmm. of thing. But it is, oh boy, I love this show. I thought I was going to sleep on it because as much as I do when you recommend a show to me, you're like, hey, you got to watch this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to juggle something else first and then maybe get to it like three months later. I felt compelled to watch it because I've heard the hype. and I, I, love needed- I love that you say that so nonchalantly. Like, yeah, yeah, man, I'll check it out maybe four months from now. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Like, I, like I've said before, much like I am a mood gamer, I am a mood watcher. So I really have to want to be in the mindset or I need to be in the mindset to watch something that people recommend me. This one, I was mm. just like... I haven't seen anything spooky. I want to watch this. I've heard nothing but compelling things. Right. It sounds like the paramount experience for horror this month, really. Yeah. I, <sighs> Netflix, Some you know, they have a high consistency, mm. I feel like, uh, of like shows coming out. Because sometimes whenever I scroll through my list, I go like, wait, Netflix? What the fuck is this? Like, yeah. I've never heard of this. But sometimes, you know, certain ones, either from their own kind of uh, marketing pushes... Other shows get this word of mouth that bubbles it to the surface, and this show definitely is being carried by word of mouth. Believe the word of mouth. The show is really well done. It is, yeah. I will say, I don't think it sticks its landing. We can discuss that on a further 
edition of the Save Room Boys. We kind of want to do a if quick save about we it. We kind of want to do a quick save yeah. about it. Um, but I do, and also the other thing is, like, literally every episode, a character gets a monologue, like a really mm-hmm. long monologue. And I mean, they're still good because the stories they're telling are kind of enrapturing. Yeah. But I mean, it's just kind of not <laughs> totally realistic. Mm-hmm. But sure, sure, sure. Whatever. I mean, why are top-hatted ghosts uh, realistic that are taller, like 11 feet tall? And That's levitate not... everywhere they yeah. go. Yeah, there's there's some suspension of disbelief that is warranted it's getting true. into the show. Honestly, like, it plays with your expectations a lot. Like, some of it is true. kind of predictable. You can kind of see some things happening, like, well ahead of it occurring. But then the way it plays with some of the visual horror and takes and the way it tries to, like fucking scare you out of your pants like it succeeds especially in like episodes uh three four and five i'm like okay fuck if you get scared out of your pants can you describe like what happened the lot like did the pants magically like shoot off of your body or was it one of those things where it's like i'm so scared let me crawl out of these pants really quick (laughs) i think it's just like i jump outside of my body yeah but i leave the pants behind the the pants are gone first and foremost okay cool a lot of hangage going on. A lot huh? of hangage going on there. A lot of scarage, a lot of hangage. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we've been watching that. It's pretty cool, pretty gnar. Um, game-wise, I dipped back into Resident Evil 7. Yo! I've been meaning to. You did too, right? I did too. Nice. And it's never a regrettable choice. No. Let me tell you what. It's a true testament to how much we love a game where we can platinum it within the week and a half that it came out. This came out, what, January 2017? And a year and a half later, we're still just replaying it for the fuck of it. I still, I still think about this game to this day, haunted by it. I hear Jack's laughter when I wake up. Mm-hmm. That's Same. how you know it's a good game, buddy. Let me tell you. <laughs> you wake up out of a fucking cold, so you're like, welcome to the family, son. <laughs> I Yeah, so I, I played a little bit on stream last night. I plan on finishing it this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's irrelevant. That's the past to you, dear listener, by the time this podcast posts. But I... Didn't get a chance to play it on the Pro originally, mm-hmm. and now I got one of those Spider-Man Pros. I I shoved that bad boy in there, mm-hmm. and it looks beautiful, dude. Yeah, it really does. I mean, as beautiful as something that's decayed and decrepit can be, but the details really do fucking pop so well. I, I love just dicking around, because we talked about it a little bit where... We're not playing the way that we originally played because mm-hmm. we know the game so well because we are on that that fucking trek to the platinum. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I have the circular saw that makes the too. game fucking a hundred times easier. We have infinite ammo. We have yeah. the walking shoes. Like we have all these things that help you just break new game plus. Well, I had a fan of mine tell me not to use the unlimited ammo, so mm-hmm. I'm still uh, walking around that way trying to pick up. But, like, with our speed runs, we learn how to kind of, like, just kind of blow past certain things. We learn what was crucial, what wasn't. But then the, that first playthrough, like we were talking about, like, there was such a, a, a measure of suspense and, like, you really having to measure each of your moments and being mm-hmm. like, okay, I need to find out what's in this drawer because it might be crucial to my survival. Whereas this, it's like... I know I don't need to kill every molded. I can just fucking lock him in a right. room and walk away. I mean, my dude, you don't know originally that, like, you know, when Jack is chasing you around the house, that he has very set patterns mm-hmm. for that. The second time that he appears, when he's shirtless and bursts into the bathroom, yeah. yeah, his pattern is he just stays around that area and kind of gives up pretty easily if you get out of there and, mm-hmm. like, hide. But since I have a circular saw, I just cornered him in the fucking bathroom and just got him in the shower and cut him down. And I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> and he fucking pulled into the drain. And you're like, all right, see you on the first floor. And there's even these invisible triggers in the game where, like, you know, certain events happen, like mm-hmm. Jack bursting through a wall or somebody knocking on a window. Yeah. 
when you're like speed running the game, you break it where you kind of miss these triggers before they're naturally supposed to happen. So you, I've, I've had times where I'm standing like, what the fuck? And it's like, oh, I killed everything in the room like way too fast. And like, I need to like walk backwards for like a door to open or mm. some shit. It's, I love it. I love breaking a game. I've, I feel very intimate with RE7. <laughs> I do too. I, I love in some sections too, when you try and like race ahead of like the game's pacing, like in the sewer gator VHS tape, yeah. um, when you're kind of in there as Clancy and you want to follow one of them into the, the fucking hidden room or something. What do you call that? Crawl space? Yeah. Crawl space? When you're trying to follow the one character into the crawl space and um, you're like, I know how to get there already. Like, fuck you, other dude. Like, I don't want to hear your stupid monologue. But like, <laughs> you literally can't move. Like, you're looking in front of you and you're like, oh, there's an invisible barrier just kind of stopping me. <laughs> Capcom knew. Capcom knew what you get up to. Yeah. So I, I did um, a speed run on normal of that. I totally fucked it up. It what took, was your time? Uh, it was like three hours and 30 minutes. It wasn't very good compared to like... What a joke. Yeah, right? <laughs> compared to our like um, easy speed runs, which we were doing like under three hours. But I had fun. It was good. I'd like, I just always have fun being in that game. Playing in the Baker Estate is so much fun for as tense as it is. Like, I don't know. It just feels good to like have a sort of classic horror homage. I'm still of the mind that the like, I would say the first half of the game is more enjoyable than the second half. Yeah. Uh, man, so much revolves around that fucking boat. Yeah. So much of the narrative revolves around that fucking boat. Like, it's mentioned at the very beginning about this boat washing up in the swamps. Like in a newspaper or something. Yeah, right? yeah. like, and I'm just like, god damn. And when you get to the boat, it's just like, ugh. I don't like any of this. <laughs> this feels like an old ass game, like a condemned or mm. or like Outlast one. Luckily, I got through that section pretty fast on my playthrough because that's the one I usually stumble on, like, lose all my time on. But I'm like, yeah, we're just gonna blow through it, whatever. And I just did. But then after, I was like, I'm gonna just dip back into some of the DLCs because I haven't like really gotten through all of them. And I started dicking around in um, Ethan Must Die, which can is you, really cool. Can we? I don't think we've ever talked about Ethan Must Die on the show. What What is Ethan Must Die versus the rest of the game? Um, Ethan Must Die is kind of like a cross-section of the game where in the main campaign they start you in the house and you have to like kind of work your way out and kind of unsolve the mystery of what's happening to the this family and get is that, free. Is that what we call it? Unsolve the mystery? Uh, Let me get to... in there and unsolve this shit. <laughs> <laughs> you have to find, work your way through the house and solve the mystery of what's happening to the bakers and you're trying to find your wife and all this shit happens. But Ethan Must Die is kind of like an asset flip where they start you on the outside of the house and your goal is basically to find a green key card to get into the the old house and fight Marguerite. Okay. So they start you on the outside, and you, you have to work your way through parts of the house. Ma- Marguerite, be- who looks like uh, the Blair Witch yes. in this game at one point. Yeah, like yeah. in some of the found footage segments, for sure. Um, but they make you work your way through the house in kind of a rearranged order. Um, you start, all you have is a survival knife, and you come across these boxes along the way, and in them, there might be an item that you can use. But it also might be dynamite, so you can hit it, <laughs> And you'll die. It's often probably dynamite. Here's the thing. Most things in that DLC will kill you in one hit or two, if you're lucky. But most things kill you in one hit. Oh, good. So you could swipe at this box, it could blow you up, and boom, you're dead. And then you have to start over. Um, so it just becomes, after a while, like this matter of like kind of doing runs where you're like, okay, I need to kind of calculate what I need to get through this room. Do I need to fuck with this molded? Do I need to not? Um, if you have like the x-ray glasses, you can like look into certain boxes. And then you know ahead of time, hey, I can hit this box or I should avoid it because there's dynamite in it whatever whatever and so it's, it's like a it's the a roguelike resident evil it, damn that's actually a very apt description of it huh. yeah it is some of it's procedurally generated because although the enemies are staged in the same way every time sometimes you'll get boxes in the same spot sometimes you won't and 
the items you get are always different. Like one run, I got five weapons that were really handy in terms of getting me further. And then another run, I got fucking five uh, solvents. What are they called? Oh, the 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 chem fluids. Yeah. yeah. So on a subsequent run, I got like five chem fluids, and I'm like, I can't do shit with these because usually you use them to like compound with like gunpowder or, or herbs herb. to make either ammo or first aid. And I'm like, well, I have five of these that I can't do anything and with. You I can't, can't. You can't combine chem fluids with chem fluids. Yeah, no, I can't. It just doesn't make any sense. I can't even take it out to show it to a mold and be like, hey, what I do this? And he's like, oh no, I don't want anything to do with that. And then he runs <laughs> away. So I don't know. It's um. For me, it kind of reintroduced some of the tension and horror to the game because mm. you really do have to like make these determinations of like, okay, am I going to play it really safe here or am I just going to run? <laughs> I've probably died no less than 50 times. Sounds right. It is called Ethan Must Die and you fucking, you're going to die a lot. And every time you die, they play this like kind of quickened upbeat version of Go Tell Aunt Rhody. Oh, really? Yeah, That's yeah. fucking great. Um, I will say this. I really hope that this kind of content is baked into the remake of Resident Evil 2. Mm-hmm. I hope they do something like a madhouse. I hope they do something like, hell, bring back mercenaries. Oh, man, bring back mercenaries. Just do some sort of extra content mode like this. Mm-hmm. That, you know, fucking test Resident Evil fans like myself. Because I'll go back and do it. Hell, if there's a knife-only mode, I'm going to do it. That's I true. gots to. I mean, parts of this mode are harder than things I I did on Madhouse. Re- yeah, it, lo- it is harder than Madhouse. I think I dicked around a few times with it, but it, I haven't gotten as far as you have on that loop. No, I definitely have gotten to the point where I'm doing the Dead Space 2 hard-to-the-core mode uh, mindset, where I'm memorizing certain steps, and I'm like, okay, this is what I need to do to survive here. This is how I can leave a trap behind to fucking stop a molded, because I may or may not have ammo for that interaction. So, I don't know, it's it's really interesting and neat, and I yeah, I would love to see them implement either this or something else in... Um, biohazard 2 or re2 biohazard oh, sorry, i should say resident evil 7 biohazard you're 2. resident evil elitist calling it biohazard get get, get you out of here <laughs> get you out of here <laughs> sorry guys i'm being elitist i have been trying to encroach myself with spookiness mm-hmm. which is running contrary with my desire to be playing assassin's creed odyssey which is very good I enjoy the shit out of that game. I said exactly the same mm-hmm. thing on the last episode we did. I just haven't been giving enough time because, well, it is it is Halloween month. Halloween's not just a day around these parts. No, it's parts. 31 days of fun for us. It's what it is, yeah. son. So I've been trying to do spooky stuff. Uh, got back in the RE7. And then also, <laughs> there's a PSN sale. <laughs> the order, 1886, was four bucks. I've always, always slept on this game despite my interest. I have heard the divisive statements. I've heard how short it is. I heard. How... Isn't it only like four hours long? No, it's not. It's okay. but it is like an eight-hour game. Okay. I beat it in one day. Wow. Yeah, I streamed the whole thing too on twitch.tv slash the red herb he did I, I peeked in i saw some of it at work on my break i was just watching and i was like this actually kind of looks really cool it's not okay it's not bad yeah. it's not bad it's not great i see where people had problems like you're interrupted by a cutscene every four feet that gets fucking annoying mm-hmm. i see that they were really invested in their narrative which was really baked out really cool the whole um knights of the the round being these kind of demon hunters these semi-immortal demon hunters oh is that the premise of it yeah because because okay. they they take a sip of this fucking uh uh from the holy grail water from the holy grail and they put a little bit of their blood to seal the contract in it mm-hmm. so they heal their bodies every time they take a sip of this shit what's funny is it's like it's not a major gameplay component but the narrative leans on that concept heavily mm-hmm. 
which is another odd choice because I was just like, yo, you can really do something with this whole like, I need to maybe plan out how I use it because it's a little finite thing. Yeah. Nah, nah, the game is actually a pretty simple third person <laughs> shooter that, again, is mostly cutscenes, sometimes gameplay, sometimes passable sneaking elements. Okay. But there's little glimpse of brilliance underneath the surface there. Well, describe yeah. to me real quick before you get into the brilliance. Uh, some of the gameplay, like, what does it hinge on? Like, what kind of enemies? It's like Gears of War. Across? It's just like Gears of War. It's like Gears of War. Okay, okay here's the thing. There is a supernatural element to this universe. Werewolves are a fucking thing. Okay. Vampires, at some point in the story, become a fucking thing. You know what you fight in this game? A lot of werewolves. People. You just fight fucking <laughs> humans with guns. It's a cover shooter where you fight humans a bunch. And there's only, I've counted them, three. Oh, no, no, no. There's five segments where you fight werewolves. Two of them are boss fights. The other three are just like these little, you always end up in a warehouse for some reason with like circular passageways. Mm-hmm. And ha- the werewolf comes racing at you. And you have to press X to dodge, and then while he's running away, you're supposed to shoot his butt. Okay. And that's, Are these done through quick time segments? No, no, not those. Those are actual gameplay where you okay. have to dodge and shoot at them. But it's the same fight three times, and that's the best they could give you out of werewolves. Okay. There's no like, oh, I'm in a forest, and a werewolf is chasing me, and I'm shooting him. That's, that's ready-made in my mind if you're going to fight werewolves, mm. dude. You, you have a werewolf game, and I'm not even being chased in the fucking world. I'm in a fucking werewolves? warehouse three times over? It makes poor choices, man, but it's cool. It's got that Victorian aesthetic. It's got a great voice cast. It's got great characters. Lafayette, fucking, he's the man. He's a beast. I like the story a bunch. I just, it's a great story, not a fun game. That's that's why it's, you that's, know. That's what I've heard from a lot of people. That's its legacy. That's why we probably won't get an Order 1887 or whatever the fuck. Who developed it? Uh, it was Ready at Dawn. Okay. They did the uh, God of War PSP games. Ah, uh, yeah. So Chains of Olympus and all those weird ones. Yeah, you know, but I'm sad. I'm sad because I do want to see what's next in mm. that universe. They just need to understand, be sparing with how you tell the story and give me bigger moments in the gameplay. They they should have been given a chance, man. They shouldn't be four fucking dollars on PS. <laughs> I want to say that. I'm going to go to bat for you, ready at dawn. You should have gotten another dawn. Well. That's it. That's all I. Have. You could be the spokesperson for the Order eighteen eighty six. Yeah, if you pay me enough, sure. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> I feel like this game came out really early on in like the PS 4s like life cycle too. Yes, it did very much so. Mm. Yeah, and they talked about the. I remember the Game Informer expose about the technology of the game and what they're doing, and I'm like, yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah, it's a kind of a boring by the numbers shooter though. You you really didn't think about that, you know. That's kind of like a letdown. Like you can get away with some of that sort of uh, more passive gameplay and like Mm. narrative driven games, Mm. but you can't have a narrative driven game and then try and like add like gunplay after the fact. It just doesn't work. Also, you know, quick time elements have always been contentious Mm -hmm. and I, I still kind of wonder about their implementation in games today. Like, you know, Spider-Man had a bunch of them. It seems to be a mainstay with the the Sony exclusives, you know, but this game fucking overdid it. It really over everything was a quick every cutscene and like you wouldn't even know because I'm sitting there watching like ten minutes of a cutscene and then suddenly it's like slam X and I'm like oh, oh I god I was expecting it to I put my controller down so I could have a drink but not only should the legacy be that it was a fantastic story very experimental mm-hmm. but it had the boldness of being one of the only Sony exclusives to drop dong they showed not one dong but I think about three dongs yeah. 
Wow. For sure. Now, hey, there is some boobage. There's some boobage dong. action. Yeah, ready at dawn. <laughs> is what it should be called. <laughs> it really should have. The Order, ready at dawn. <laughs> That's the sequel I'll fucking play. Dude, if you need to kickstart that, I'm right there. I'm there with it, too. Hell yeah. I don't know. I might check it out for four bucks just to see what it's all it's about. It's still on sale. They, fin- mean, they finally did a spooky sale on PSN. That's cool. Yeah, right. you were telling me that Resident Evil yeah. 6 is on sale for like, what, six, seven bucks? Seven ninety nine. Hell yeah. So, Come yeah. on, join me for Leon campaign i'll do it that's all i'll say about that you got ps now i did okay the week trial yeah so um i don't know if it was just a conversation we had like last episode where we were talking about like streaming services yeah. and cloud technology oh, i just know that's how they get you dude well, no. i feel like <laughs> we advertised it to ourselves um yeah. no i just i was just curious to see how it all played out and i think the main launch pad for it was it was dead space's 10 year anniversary i wanted to see if i could stream it and play it um i found out one you can't stream games to twitch while you're streaming them through the service two uh, two it's not on there so <laughs> none of them are on none there. of them are none on of there. the dead spaces fuck you ea yeah what the fuck or at least make them backwards compatible take a note from microsoft's book yeah dog i don't know if they're i think they are backwards compatible on xbox one no, they are. That's why I'm saying take a page from Microsoft's book. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. they need to take a whole the whole fucking book when it comes to backwards what compatibility. What this fucking uh, emulation by remastering bullshit? Come on, guys. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so I got the free trial of uh, PS Now just to try it out, just to see what this future of cloud streaming could look like. And it's it's looking kind of shoddy. Um, oh, okay. The, the only game I've played so far is um, Red Dead, which I thought would be cool to play in preparation for Red Dead 2, since I haven't played it at all. Can I can I pump the brakes for a second here, compatriot? <laughs> this is your first Rockstar game? Correct. I, I guess I didn't hear you out, because like, we would do previous episodes, I would talk about Red Dead, mm-hmm. and you'd be like, yeah, I never played Red Dead Redemption. I'm like, oh, okay, well, it was a very good one. And then I, d- I didn't connect the dots. When we would talk about GTA V fucking, like, still ranking 100 years after it came out. Hitting six billion figures. Right. I hear you say, oh, I've never played a GTA. And I did not compute that that also equated to, my boy has never played a Rockstar so, Games game. The, the clues were all there. I've uh. said, hey, I haven't played these GTA games or any. Or, hey, I haven't played Red Dead. Or, hey, I've never played L.A. Noir. Like, wow. It, it's all piecing together now. You so, never played Bully, huh? Never played Bully. Never played Manhunt, huh? Never played Manhunt. Never played Smuggler's Run, huh? Nope. Earthworm Jim, maybe? What? What does that have to do with Rockstar? Uh, they, they housed a Rockstar game. Did they really? Or Rockstar did a Earthworm Rockstar Jim game. Rockstar did an Earthworm yeah. Jim? Yeah. Do you mean Earthworm Jim 64? I don't think it's that one. It's not that one? I wish we had a year wrong segment, but I, I don't know. <laughs> chat. Keep us honest, chat. Keep us honest, chat. <laughs> you can write to us at uh, saveroomshow at gmail.com. Let us know how we fucked up. But so, yeah, no, I've never played a Rockstar game. It's, I think I just never really cared to. I don't know why they never really spoke to me. I've always been in the situation where I've been at friends' houses and kind of see them play it, whether it was like Liberty City or San Andreas or Vice City. And I would just kind of... So you've witnessed it. Yeah, I witnessed it a lot. I would just kind of go over to friends' houses and watch them play it. I'm like, oh, it looks crazy cool. But I never picked them up because I just didn't care. Yeah, a fucking rock star did Earthworm Jim 3D in well, 1999. Well, I, I think they published it. What the fuck? What the fuck, bro? What the fuck? Weird shit. Wow, man. Wow. Weird shit. Yeah. But anyway, I've been playing a lot of Red Dead, and it's kind of neat. I really, really dig it. I can I can see how, with this game alone, that Rockstar is very much like a forerunner and trailblazer in open world games. Granted, they've probably had so many years of 
the experience under the belt before doing Red Dead. They've made a few. But there's so many like open world things that they have in there that are just like quality of life things that we've come to just take for granted that they just kind of have or have like done better than some places than um some games have currently done. Like And imagine it's been seven years since that game fucking came out. Yeah. Wait, no, 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 not seven years, eight years at this point, right? Did yeah, because it came out in, in twenty ten. Yeah. The fact that I could set waypoints to literally anything and it maps it not only on mm-hmm. my mini map, but also like in the game. Like Yeah. They set a new crazy. standard right there, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember just being so enamored with uh, Red Dead when it first came out. Like, I was a big fan of uh, Red Dead Revolver, mm-hmm. which has... Uh, here's a history of that real quick. It me. was developed by Angel Studios, which was in partnership with Capcom. Okay. Back in the day, they made... The, I, I'm going to stop singing that. They made... <laughs> <laughs> they made the port of Resident Evil 2 for the N64, Angel Studios. That was them. And mm. then Rockstar was like, yo, you're working on this Red Dead game that Capcom doesn't want to publish? Looks like it has some promise. They bought up Angel Studios, renamed them Rockstar San Diego, and they published Revolver themselves. Holy shit. That's a more you know from the Capcom captain himself. There we go! <laughs> Good shit, dude. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm glad that you... I know you're, you're probably not going to beat it before part two comes out. No, I honestly think the trial is going to expire before I get a chance to. Okay. Would I, you recommend PS Now? It's weird. Um, honestly, That's not a good I think, recommendation. I think the technology is super promising. I do think we are kind of like a few years away from really having very capable internet speeds or means of doing it like i I guess when we're punching like 5g streaming capabilities to Mm -hmm. where like you can get that consistent latency and resolution i feel like at times it streams at like a consistent 720 but it's always processing Mm -hmm. things that are happening in the world like i think the game only has enough room for what's in front of it at times and then as you progress like say like i start to like i get on my horse and then I go like X amount of like meters this way. The game starts to kind of appear in very weird ways around me. A lot of bad popping. Yeah. Yeah. I walked in and I thought that I forgot to put on my glasses when I was looking at the screen, but yeah. that was just the resolution. It is not like the best way to play one of the most hailed titles of last generation. Um, yeah. But I just I wanted to try it. <laughs> you did. Yeah. Well, part two's coming up. Hey, we're going to talk about part two uh, later in a different context. Yeah, we're going to so. talk about it in a whole different way. Pro-pro-pro-pro-prayer! But PS Now is interesting. I do like that they're, the UI, it's got a sub-drop of menus, and um, it, depending on the, the game you're playing, if you're playing a PS3 game or a PS4 game, it stylizes it in the way that it was um, in that context. So like, mm. when I log in to play this game, so it essentially has to load it to your client um, because it's always on a server it loads it and then when you sign into it it signs much like i do in the ps3 so it's got the little sign in box on the top right hand corner if you can remember what that looks like gray and ugly yep gray and ugly little little smiley uh square boy box yeah yeah um and then when you pop trophies they pop like the old way they don't pop like ps4 trophies do so it's it's kind of a neat little touch shit but you wouldn't uh you wouldn't do the what 22 bucks a month for it uh, I believe it's 20 bucks, 20 bucks a month. Bucks, yeah. I think it's like 40 something bucks uh, for every three months and then a hundred dollars for the year. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Um, I mean the, the, it's not there for me just cause I think the game catalog is kind of, um, it's slim pickings <laughs> for sure. But I don't know. I think it is a, a cool prospect and I would like to see them get better with it over time. I didn't see Castlevania Lords of Shadow on there. So, mm-hmm. uh, fucking cancel the program. Done. <laughs> done so hey dude yeah you want to hit that news real quick you want to hit some quick hits you want to hit that next level news wait son? what 
Yeah, it's not quick hits, dude. Okay. This is just news, but it's quicker. Yeah, we're, we're changing the way that we write because apparently we got full-time jobs. And, yeah. Uh, this is this is taking well, an endeavor. It's still writing. It's still writing. Let's get in front of it here. We kind of had to do a restructuring for this episode um, where the quick hits became the news because what was going to be our news just became a whole topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. A little back end for you, though. Mm-hmm. You know? A little back end for you guys because you're so interested in how these are put together. I mean, everybody likes the behind-the-scenes take, no matter what it is. We're sitting on Daniel's floor. We are. My cat is <laughs> asleep, this. luckily. Cat's dead asleep. Yeah. yeah. It's a little warm in here now. Well, I mean, yeah. we are wearing sweaters. We are wearing sweaters, yeah. but that's how you also know the magic is alive. That's true. Hit me with the first one. We're going to hit you with this first quick hit here. Animates Hit Lover... The time to change your PSN name has finally come. It was announced last week that PlayStation users can finally change their online handles. Well, yippee. Cool. Uh, this comes Yay. 12 years after the instatement of PSN names and many awkward names later. There are some caveats, though. Why? It'll start with a test beta. Oh. It won't be supported across all PS3, PS4, and Vita games. PS4 games published after uh, April 2018 will be compatible with the change, but only select PS4 titles released before then will be supported. You can find the full list of supported games over at PlayStation.com. The first name change will be free, and subsequent changes will be $10. Only $5, though, for PlayStation Plus owners. Players may experience issues or in-game errors with certain games, as well as problems syncing with trophies or displaying their names. And then the final note there, it's going to launch early in 2019. Well, praise Shuhei, man. You know, it it happened. Um, I remember, so the behind the scenes reason why it was so complicated, why it wasn't just a thing where it's like, yeah, sure, go ahead, change Mm. your shit. Where Xbox IDs, basically the coding is just randomized digits Mm -hmm. and it outwardly is your choice versus what Sony did, which was the back end literally was what you input. Mm -hmm. So the coding was hardwired to... The name name that you chose, so they couldn't easily change it. That's why it's going to fuck up over older games or not work at all. Interesting. Yeah. So I love that uh, Animates Hit Lover's digital imprint is forever coded into the network. Yo, dude, it's fucking stuck. It's in the the digital ocean, my friend, until this change. So... Good luck, buddy. <laughs> Does this speak to you at all? Is, uh, I don't know if like this is one of the things that you were screaming for over the last 12 years like everybody else. For me, it was kind of like a non-issue. I didn't really well, care. Well, again, I feel like you should be stuck with your choices. Okay. They should, they should just <laughs> stick to your ribs forever. So I didn't mind that I was like, hey, you know, Kevin Apoc is what it is on PSN. Mm-hmm. I wanted Kevin Apocalypse. I'm pretty sure that's taken, so the name change is not going to matter unless Kevin Apocalypse has some regrets about associating with the end of the world and his name, Kevin, hmm. which is Irish. Huh. <laughs> yeah. means handsome at birth. I like that. There you go. That's yours. <laughs> um, but I don't know. If I were to change it, I think we talked about it, I might go toward the red herb, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to change my fucking PlayStation icon, which has been the Dino Crisis 2 Tyrannosaurus Rex. I'm going to keep that forever. That's my identity. That's true. I choose that. It's his other self. It it's my bun self, sir. <laughs> so yeah, are you gonna change your name to something like fucking? Pro- probably not. Fucking Dungeons and Dan's. I, like I thought about doing Dungeons and Daniels because that's okay. like my Twitch. Seattle handle. Dan <laughs> or Seattle Dan would be really funny. I just I think it's such a non-issue for me that I just don't yeah. even really care. Yeah, I don't really care that much either. But I get it. I get it. This is a good thing for mm-hmm. fucking the twelve-year-olds of the world because mm-hmm. I was a little bit older when I got a PlayStation. And yes. I, I'm thinking like, oh wow, remember what I decided for my first Xbox Live arcade name? Not arcade. Xbox Live name. It was Goth Face 28. Wow. Goth 
face, and then 28 because of 28 Days Later is the only number I can think. I, <laughs> I was like, like that. I was like, guy. I like that movie. That's really interesting. Yeah. So um, yeah, I so, was happy to be able to change that. Okay. When we were first getting our PS3s, I think it was, well, PS3 what came out in 2006. Mm-hmm. So I was like 18, 19. And it cost uh, $800,000. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time we got it, I think it was in 2010. So I was like 22 at that point. I didn't have time for a stupid goofy name like fucking Crab Hands McGee 69. I just, I didn't care. 420, to... no scope, yeah. grandma scrote. Yeah. Haunted Bong Liquor 82. Like, no, I didn't. Or really... anything to do with Avenged Sevenfold. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is my unholy confession <laughs> that I did not care to have a stupid name. I was just like, whatever. I just come and do a play on, play on words and go with that. And um, yeah, I just, it seems like such a weird thing to me that they didn't jump on it sooner and even weirder to me that it, it was so hard to undo. But I want you explaining like the coding and the the process of how they do it, back ending versus front ending it. I guess it makes a little more sense. Yeah, dude, you got to make sure that your back end is aligned with your front end, and then you just start pounding away. Oh boy! <laughs> hey, you might have to cut that one. Uh, yeah, out. we're gonna pound that. One. We're gonna <laughs> cut that one out. Uh, you want to pound away at number two for me? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So a player, a part of Fallout 76's stress test, has had their Xbox Live account nuked. So apparently the NDA player sign prohibited them from sharing any footage, screens, uh, audio from the game. Mm-hmm. So, of course, somebody shared 90 seconds of gameplay on Twitter. Idiot. Well, Forbes reports, quote, the offender's Xbox Gold, Game Pass, and Xbox Insider accounts have been suspended until January 1st, end quote. Now, uh, just to refresh you, Fallout 76 releases on November 14th. Ooh. And it requires online access to play. So this player is fucked for about a month and a half after the game even releases. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking Bethany Esda is not playing around. <laughs> now, um, so here's what I don't get. I don't understand why Bethesda would be upset about leaked footage of a buggy, unfinished build. Because mm. that's what they end up releasing anyway. Ah, I got him. Sorry, Todd. We love you, but... Nuked. I got you. <laughs> I did it, boy. I did it. End the podcast. Hit... Hit the red button. We're done. We're done. We got it. It's in the back. The check's in the mail. (laughs) I think it's a little overblown, man, Mm. especially since it's not like we're like a year out from the game release. Like, chill the fuck out. Also, aren't they doing the beta right now? Like the the break it early test application where they're letting people just fuck around with it? Yeah. I mean, fuck, dude. Let (sighs) Whatever. (laughs) I mean, granted, yes, you sign your NDA there is like there's clause there you're not supposed to violate it yes yes but. yes i i they're totally within their rights sure. da, 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 da. i just think you know come on man it it was a fan who was excited to share shit mm-hmm. but bethesda has always had a very shoot on site policy for yes. leakers <laughs> okay didn't they blacklist like polygon or something they did, like that yeah. yeah they're like yeah no, 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 you're fucking done like so they don't give them any actually and then they went on to be like hey nobody gets advanced copies of their games for review. Whatever, Bethesda. Do what you want to do. Yeah, you make good games, but I don't understand why you're clutching your IP so close. Like, let people... I don't know. If they're influencing the, the general public in a good way, why not let them, like, leak these things? It might be good. This poor lad is going to go without Fallout 76 for a month and a half. And in gamer speak, in gamer terms, mm-hmm. a month and a half is four years. It is four years. That's why when you delay a game, it feels like a vampire in the sun. A gamer is dying when you do that. So give this boy a stim pack. <laughs> Take a 
him out of the wild. Get him back into the vault. Todd. 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 You're being a little ridiculous. Yes. I got a next one on here. Number three. (laughs) Ubisoft Massive COO says, we cannot be openly political in our games. This is a fun one. So stupid. Full quote time. Ubisoft Massive COO Alf Condilius. Holy shit. I think I fought him in Assassin's Creed Odyssey at one point. (laughs) Said during a Sweden game conference panel, quote, it's a universe and a world that we created. He's talking about Division, by the way. Sorry, I didn't write anywhere down here. No, I didn't. He's talking about the Division too. The Division 2. Anyway, quote, It's a universe and a world that we created for people to explore how to be a good person in a slowly decaying world. I really didn't get a sense of that in part one. But people like to put politics into that. And we back away from those interpretations as much as we can because we don't want to take a stance in current politics. Oh, Daniel's making faces. I make a face because The Division was is a politically charged game. It's a military, it's a military shooter. <laughs> It's an apolitical military shooter? What? No, those rarely exist. Those, maybe aliens by James Cameron. They're out in space. We don't know anything about them. Hell, they might even be contract mercenaries, the colonial marines. Who fucking knows? Anyway, anyway, anyway. His next quote, he also said, uh, it's also bad for business, unfortunately, if you want the honest truth. But it is interesting, and it is a discussion that we have, and it's an ongoing discussion we have with our users. Of course, because people want to put an interpretation into the universe that we create, and they want to see their own reality and the fantasies that we give them, and the stories that the games are. <sighs> okay, okay, okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm just, when it comes to Ubisoft saying things, I go back to the whole, it's too difficult to implement women in Assassin's Creed kind of thing. Oh. And then it happens. Yeah. You're saying that your military shooters that are based off of Tom Clancy's fucking books can't be political? That are not intrinsically political in one sense or another? Okay, whatever. Whatever. It makes no sense because that game starts with a, uh, a bit of bioterrorism. There are warring factions. There's political <laughs> tones throughout the entire world. But sure. I think I feel like um, maybe they're just saying this because we see what happened with games like Battlefield Five. It's exactly that. Yeah. They they don't want their pre-order sales to diminish. They want to make sure their game sells at it's launch. It's true. There is a... Uh, I, I don't know the uh, amount of gamers out there that, it, that feel that politics should not be in games, but they are a very vocal group. We've mm-hmm. heard it over and over. People are just like, I just want escapism. Da, 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 da. And it's like... I feel like people have gotten that over that shit in movies because they already have a glut of dumbass summer popcorn films mm-hmm. that they can enjoy. But there's also politically charged or topical films that still exist and nobody is crying for, for the medium to stop making those like gamers are. Shut the fuck up. There is enough room for different types of stories and different intentions. Mm. I just, I'm, I'm tired of hearing dudes come out and go like, yeah, no, we don't want to do that because we want to acquiesce to the people that, you know, are being on like on Reddit, Reddit blowing it up. Yeah, they're afraid of being called social justice fucking cuck lords. Yeah, and it's just okay. like Whatever. if you have a product you believe in and you want to make something with conviction, like stand behind it. If like marketing the division as a political game is something you need to do because that's what it is, don't shy away from that. I think it's kind of cowardice. Your game is gonna sell how it sells regardless. I don't think a game is made or broken by 
pre-marketing spiel about it being too political or not too political like people are going to play a game because they have an interest in it and if they get their hands on it, it feels good then they're going to talk about that and also being political does not mean your game has commentary just about democrats versus republicans it means a lot of different things and mm-hmm. covers a lot of different facets yeah you know uh I don't even know how. There's politics in uh, the Metal Gear games. You never hear anybody fucking complain about that. That's true. Well, they have lizard politics. Maybe that's why people are more into Uh, it. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And sword fights. (laughs) Sometimes there's sword fights. people who breathe through their skin? Uh, It makes your controller rumble sometimes. There's nothing inherently political about spooking me. (laughs) (laughs) Next one on here, Daniel. Uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite may be resurrected as Marvel vs. Capcom 4. Ooh, take me for a ride here, buddy. Wanna take you for a ride? Do I have to do the Capcom? Nah, that's fine. It's just one hit. Yeah. (laughs) If I had two, that's the rule. Two or more, the Capcom Capcast comes back. You guys heard it first here, Save Roommates. Yeah. Two or more Capcom items in a row. Yeah. You get a podcast within a podcast. There we go. There we go. (laughs) All right. So a Reddit user has revealed that Capcom wants to totally rebrand their redheaded stepchild in an attempt to save the series. This Redditor, named Das Vergeman, has a pretty decent rumor resume, having correctly leaked the additions of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for Injustice 2 and Ridley and Simon Belmont for Smash Ultimate. Mr. Das Vergeman posted, quote, I should probably mention that when it does get announced, it will be called Marvel vs. Capcom 4. I do not know what that could mean for the game itself and the changes, but it will be a complete rebranding effort to make people forget that Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite existed. Hmm. They are rinsing the shame of that away. End quote. Oh, I think we should just move on from the architecture of Infinite. Mm -hmm. I uh, Just any of it. I mean, well, what do you think held that game back? Like, because I, I played it with you a few times, and there's a lot that works for it. <sighs> the gameplay is not bad. Yeah, you're right about that. Mm-hmm. I could see why they would want to salvage what's already there. <sighs> and the implementation of the Infinity Stones is really cool. It adds a different layer and depth to the combat. I honestly didn't mind the 2v2 either. Yeah. It actually kind of shored in the gameplay style uh, to something that's a little more manageable because, you know, they, they tried to make Capcom made the argument that the third character is always kind of like a throwaway function character, mm-hmm. essentially. And it's like maybe it's easier to, you know, manage two characters and focus in on the gems. And I think they're kind of right on that gamble. But the problem is the roster fucking sucked. Yes. No X Men. And we understand that that was like a little internal strife between Mm -hmm. disney and fox that could be the reason why no x-men showed up but god damn that sucks and it's a lot of roster from uh ultimate marvel versus capcom 3 so it wasn't really anything new to the table worse than that it's an ugly looking game character models suck in that game they're so bad i don't know who over at their fucking face development team has face blindness but it is ugh. get the checked out and why did they inflate every muscle in the game like four times past mm. what would even look passably human. They all look like Rob Leafield drawings come <laughs> to life. It's insane. I So them to kind of go in, I don't think this is too far-fetched, man. No, I don't think it's so they, far They've been trying to kind of reconfigure uh, Street Fighter V after that initial bad mm-hmm. reception. And I think they've done a pretty fucking bang-up job. Like, it's still a part of the FGC. It goes to Evo. Mm-hmm. Infinite is not on the Evo uh, roster of games that's going to be played. Mm. Shit, son. Interesting. So, I don't know about rebranding it as part four. Yeah. I would want it to like, be a different thing if it was part four, but I understand the idea of, like, let's add characters that are missing from here, 
fix the fucking art style? That's like the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. We got fucking DBC out there. Uh, what do you call that game? Uh, Fighters. Dragon yeah. Ball Z Fighters. Or Dragon Ball Fighters. Fighter whatever. Z. You can't say the Z, actually. Yeah, they said that. They say it's illegal. Yeah, they'll come in here and find us, dude. We can't fuck around with that fucking <laughs> Duke and me into the sun. Can't fuck around with the anime, man. Yeah. <laughs> so the art style in that game is fantastic. Fucking have something like that. Mm-hmm. Even fans were creating their own shaders on like the PC edition or whatever the fuck. And it looks good just adding that yeah. extra comic book dimension. Even that saves the game a little bit. Interesting. So. I mean, if you're going to redo character models and all that stuff, just make a new game don't rebrand it what would a rebranding of this look like though like are we going to get a different subtitle like uh, marvel vs. Capcom infinite thanos spared us all and it's going to be like just new characters or new levels or i i don't functionality yeah i don't know what it it would have to be the characters that people feel are missing Mm -hmm. for sure um and there's potential to add fucking x-men in it now that uh disney has it has the licensing and all that shit. They're mm-hmm. taking they're taking out all of Fox properties essentially. So, yeah, that could play into it there. a little bit too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Deadpool wasn't an infinite. An infinite. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That I don't know. All around, I gotta say that that roster is pretty weak. It's pretty fucking weak, and especially it doesn't even speak to modern Capcom games. Where's Jack Baker, dude? Getting in there and welcome to the family, son. Is this fucking special? There that would we have been go. So cool to get the fucking uh, scissor chainsaw action going exactly. on. That's what I'm saying, man. There's potential there, but mm. who knows? It's all rumors right now. They could also not do anything with it ever again. Very. I think it's interesting though that this dude so far has been like what two for two with his uh, Nostradamus Reddit predictions. Yes, he has some approximate knowledge of video games, mm. just like us. Well, we don't know anything. No, we don't. Speaking of number fours, Daniel. <laughs> blizzard says fuck off if you think they're about to announce diablo 4 okay they didn't say that but here's what they did say on their blizz blog i I don't know what they call their shit anyway quote blizzcon 2018 is almost here and we've seen a lot of rumors flying around about our plans for diablo at the show these are very exciting times we currently have multiple teams working on different diablo projects and we can't wait to tell you all about them when the time is right we know what many of you are hoping for, and we can only say that good things come to those who wait. But evil things often take longer. Ooh, oh, look at this fucking demonic Dr. Seuss. We appreciate your patience as our teams work tirelessly to create nightmarish experiences worthy of the Lord of Terror. End quote. So Diablo 3 for the Nintendo Switch is releasing on November 2nd, and that seems to be what they want to focus on. Um, I, I love that they just had to get ahead of it. They're like, please don't get too excited. We're not going to fucking announce four. Mm-hmm. We're not. If they do blow my fucking mind, I don't know why you have to lie to me first, but <laughs> you know, the devil works in mysterious ways, Kevin. They, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I would be so down for a Diablo four, but I don't think that's what they're going to do. If anything, they might talk about like, Hey, uh, Diablo three for switch is going to be like crossplay, something crazy like that. Yeah. I think they really need to kind of go all in and support the newest port on the switch. Cause that's the yeah. next big thing. Uh, they want to get people over onto that. They want to have continued sustainability and uh, fervor for this game. So yeah, they got to talk up three rather than shift the narrative and be like, Hey, fuck three coming to the switch. We're talking about Diablo four. Like it, I don't know. It seems like mixed messaging. You know how they could so. fuck the place up though. Hmm. If they're like, yeah, we're not going to announce Diablo four, but here's a remake of Diablo two coming out Ooh. to everything that would blow dicks off. Let me tell you what, that would be pretty cool. 
I that think would be cool. They did with a version of, I think, Diablo 3. They announced it, I think, one or two BlizzCons ago that they were packing mm. in a version of Diablo 1 within that game. Yeah, I th- or, or one specific level from part one. Yeah, that's mm. in the PC edition, but I don't think it ever came to console, unfortunately, so which is fucking sad. Either way, like, Blizzard is one of those companies that's just like, they take their time to bake something. Mm-hmm. And I like that they stay their hand about, like, trying to... Because, like, any other company would probably be like... Let them think Diablo 4 is happening mm-hmm. and then disappoint them and, and then try to like turn it into, yeah, yeah, we feel where you're at, but you know, we really just want to support this thing that already came out and you don't care about. And no, I like that, that they could get ahead and just go, yeah, it's not that. <laughs> you realize we're kind of in the minority here, though, because I feel like a lot of like Blizzard fans are kind of. I've seen nothing but vitriol from them towards Blizzard and how they handle their IPs and Why? their release windows. I don't know. I think that maybe they want more expediency. Maybe they think they could be doing their games a service, more service, or this and that. I don't know. As we're going to talk about later in the episode, holding these same kind of like demands and structures, especially when it comes to like release dates and mm-hmm. deadlines, is uh, harmful in a lot of circumstances mm-hmm. for the people that are bringing you the IP you so hold dear. That's true. I okay. think uh, I think Blizzard does a great job at developing um, on their own terms. Granted, I feel like they develop in their own bubble and do whatever they want, and it works for them because it's their brand. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm okay with waiting. Uh, granted, it's been what. 2012 was the last time we got a Diablo game. Yeah, true enough. But I would never, time. I would never want to hold a company that is creative as Blizzard to be adherent yeah. to like this strict like I want a Diablo every two years. Make that happen. Well, that's, that's going to water down your brand. Literally never happened. And there was also 12 years between Diablo two and Diablo three. So okay, that's yeah. a special. Uh, yeah, maybe that's a big thing. Maybe yeah. that's a big. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> we got to learn to bridge the gap there, sure. but I think it's acceptable to wait. Okay, okay. that's all. That that that's all. Now, speaking of games, because, wait, this whole thing is about games. Skybound wants The Walking Dead, the final season, entirely staffed by Telltale devs. Now, Telltale is gone, leaving Clementine's fate uncertain. That is, until Skybound Games, an offshoot of the company responsible for the Walking Dead brand, announced they are finishing the last two episodes of the final season. Skybound also announced that they wanted to wrangle back ex-Telltale devs to help finish the game that they started, but did not announce who or how many developers would return. Skybound CEO Ian Howe held a Reddit AMA and doubled down on his, this claim, stating, quote, The plan is for it to be staffed 100% by former Telltale staff. The only time we'd look elsewhere is if we can't fill a particular role from former TT people, end quote. Uh, yeah, it's kind of cool that he wanted to, you know, come out there in front of the fans and say shit because as we've seen that's uh that's a harmful position to be in especially when there's a lot of hurt feelings around the dissolution of telltale Mm -hmm. but um we don't know like if anybody would even be willing to come back yeah you know i think it's a cool prospect it is Um, you you're walking towards a direction that has me a little more interested now uh like kirkman being like okay hey we want to pick up the walking dead Mm -hmm. final season and run with it i was like that's cool Nobody knows the Walking Dead brand like Kirkman does. It'll be made in-house. It'll be true to the identity of the comics and hopefully true to what Telltale did. But then bringing on like former employees and trying to 100% staff that way, I think that's excellent. Um, I think that gives back to the experience. And I think it's going to really create a nice bow on the final chapter if they can pull it off. Yeah, of that specific project, of course, like there's still that raw wound of hey, nobody else really benefits from this, mm-hmm. of the other employees that were let go from Telltale. I get that too. But if they have to finish it, this is probably the, the best, the best way. way that they could finish it. So I'm not going to give them too much shit about that. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Um, what do, what do you think about the statement though that like they will look other places if these people cannot fulfill what they're looking for? Yeah, I mean, again, there's no guarantee that people want to come back. Yeah, I mean, they could reach out to you know maybe a narrative lead or something, and they go like, "Fuck off, Telltale mm-hmm. burned me so bad." Or maybe, "Hey, dude, uh, I was let go." And did not know what was going to happen with The Walking Dead in the final mm-hmm. season. So I have other prospects right now. That's very possible. You know, because a lot of these folk were super talented. And yeah, a lot of them are going to land on their feet. Others are not. Others are not going to come back. So I, I think that's appropriate to be like, yeah, we're going to have to look elsewhere if we literally cannot get a TT dev back first. Okay. So that's a good... That's what you think that means? That's what that means. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I read it as, okay, if these people aren't capable of doing something we want them to do, it's like, well... I, no, That's no, a weird no, no, interpretation no, no, no. that I took where it's like, well, why wouldn't they be? They worked on the original games. No, they... they so. I think they even discussed it's more about incompatible schedules okay. or intent. Intent would be, I don't want to be... I don't want to fucking be even, like, associated with the roughage of telltale at this point which is fair which is fair yeah we talked about that uh previous episodes so i'm interested i'm interested to see how they land the finale uh uh, one of the writers took to twitter and said that hey they're actually using the original script and Mm -hmm. the assets so my work will be released which is good yeah i like like hearing that a lot so yeah so it seems like you know they already had an idea of like we knew how it was going to end it's just a matter of developing it you know yeah so it it's kind of cool where it's not just like a variable an x factor that skybound's trying to like solve it's like no they know there's a course they just have to get it there interesting Mm -hmm. i want your beat on this next one here next quick hit what's up from luigi gooigi was born a what? I'm sorry, excuse me, a what? Gooigi? A Gooigi. Yes. Okay. Luigi's Mansion recently came to the 3DS this month with a new co-op component and a new character. From the maddening mind of Professor Egad comes Gooigi, a gooey green doppelganger that a second player can control. <laughs> Luigi and his goo bro can take on story missions, bosses, and extra modes together. <laughs> so yeah, I guess that's a, a new character that they decided to create and pack in with this 3DS version of luigi's mansion you tell me egad thought luigi was such a stand-up dude that he's just like dude let me just fucking clone you in a weird way <laughs> let me make you a flubber man have you seen the character model for it yeah it's just him but like a green mask it's weird right that's it's kind of alarming that is um i don't know if that really adds to the experience yeah. necessarily but it would make a cool weird amiibo as long as they make it transparent. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. There's an idea. There's a legacy of Gooigi that there's a package out there that has to announce that it says Gooigi. I prefer that legacy over the one where it's like uh, the haunting of Luigi's mansion, where like this doppelganger is haunting Luigi at every juncture. Oh, dude. Like imagine he walked away from his um, uh, poltergeisting experience with PTSD and he saw Luigi in the streets. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're onto a gameplay element here Mm -hmm. where instead of doing this co-op shit, it's a versus game. Okay. And you as Luigi have to like scare luigi like he has a fear meter essentially that you can fucking prey upon by like smashing through mirrors and just being Luigi. That'd be cool and if like the scare meter is too high he can't suck you into his vacuum he can't right stop you. right Ooh, exactly. there's something there it, and it really becomes about <laughs> mental warfare at that point you know these two people one who's constantly on edge because <laughs> Luigi's visiting upon the uh, essentially the, the potential of death mm-hmm. <laughs> to luigi's world at every corner that's some rough stuff right that is there. some rough shit yo Miyamoto, save room boys, knocking up, uh, knocking on your door. <laughs> this is a mini game pitch to you, Miyamoto. This is yours. This is Take yours. It. We don't even want money for this idea. We just want to we see, want it see it happen. Born. We want you to pour some water on that seed. Okay. 
how do you think a co-op component will fare with this game do you think it's like crucial at all or do you think it'll add to the experience because no, you were a big fan of luigi's no mansion. i love it luigi's yeah. mansion fucking you know i have my whole back is tattooed with the mansion and mm-hmm. luigi fucking pissing himself it's mm-hmm. it's amazing uh i don't know man i don't know okay. how a co-op experience would work with this fucking game interesting it'd work okay i guess i don't know i feel I like know. that that game is probably better lent by playing it by yourself because i don't know it's a yeah it's a mario game but it's also kind of a suspenseful horror game i wouldn't be surprised to see part three try to try try to get guigi back into this yeah yeah that would be fine i think there could be potential for like some co-op action what if they just roped mario into it like why can't mario do this work mario's missing dude he's the whole reason like that's that's the precipice of the luigi's mansion lore man mario fucks up gets his ass caught mm-hmm. and luigi has to go save his ass and have his psyche uh ripped apart by these specters it's a harsh harsh tale it's intense i don't know all that. it's it's the only rated m mario game yeah it's true yeah luigi's mansion <laughs> rated m for mama mia <laughs> another hit on the list here dream daddy dad rector's cut coming to ps4 oh what that oh what dad rector's cut what kind of a record? It's a bad it's pun. A like I have some bad dad jokes. That's not that's... even a pun. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a pun. That's that's a fucking typo. It's a play on something. Okay. If you love getting to create custom dads with all sorts of hard bodies and kinks on PC, you nice. can soon relive the dating sim magic on PS4. Dream Daddy's Dad Rector's Cut won't be the only thing coming October 30th, as the updated version packs in a ton of cut content, including more scenarios and side quests, a new mini game, and you guessed it, more dads for you to date and rule over. For those unfamiliar, 2017's Dream Daddy, a dad dating simulator, allowed you to create your own dad and straddle the life of everyday Americana in single parenthood as you flex between caring for your daughter Amanda and finding love amongst the muscles of another lonely father. <laughs> i love the premise but i don't like visual novel games like they they don't they don't hold me i think they're cool they're fun to watch but that's not my sort of uh yeah. like i don't really like playing games like that now you know a game i'm really into hmm. boyfriend dungeon yeah that looks super yeah dope. they ended their quick starter quick starter their kickstarter because i think they got funded mm-hmm. and they yeah so you essentially date your weapon that you use mm-hmm. in a dungeon crawler that's not unlike diablo but it has a neat ass art style so it's like a dating sim with rpg dungeon crawling elements exactly that's fucking awesome and the more you use a weapon like the more you build like the familiarity between each other and they like mm-hmm. so they they so your weapon turns into like a human that you can date you go on dates in the park and shit and then it's like oh let's go fucking hunt down some monsters together wow. it's great i'm gonna pick it up day fucking one son it's gonna be a lot of boyfriend dungeon in this house buddy. a lot i'm not sure that's what they meant by romancing the sword but hmm. is that a thing that they say it i thought it was event. romancing the stone there we go there i'm gonna cut this one up <laughs> <laughs> uh next one on here daniel Spider-Man PS4 The Heist DLC swings into action on October 23rd. Yo, we so close. The first of three DLC expansions entitled The City Never Sleeps, which will tell an interconnected story. There's going to be three new suits, and they'll be available with the heist with, uh, we got the shiny, resilient suit, we got the alternate Spider-Verse suit worn by Spider-UK, mm. and then we got Kane's Scarlet Spider 2 suit. That one looks we're dope. Talking about. We're talking about that one. That's, That's the one who is in Houston, and he murders people. He's great. So yeah. now there's credence to me actually murdering people in the streets of New York. Correct. Awesome. Correct. 
Correct. Coming for for you, thugs. Also, a recent update has incorporated new game plus into the game, a new ultimate difficulty, and upgrades to the photo mode, which lets you add puddles to your pictures. (laughs) Is that true? Yep. It's not just a joke you're Nope, it's not just a joke. Oh my god. They actually did this. That's so funny. So we're referencing uh, Puddlegate, which was the big controversy that (laughs) broke around the release of this game. I love going through tweets, like, you know, GameSpot and shit reporting on this, Mm -hmm. and going like, everyone's like, yo, Insomniac is the best, yo, and like thinking it's the funniest shit. And there's always that one guy where it's just like, I don't see how this is a laughing matter. Cause you are Puddlegate, sir. <laughs> you are. <laughs> oh man, are you gonna you're gonna jump back into this bad boy, ain't you? I don't have the DLC or the season pass, but you're not gonna I'm buy it? probably gonna get it. Actually, probably gonna get it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, especially riding that crazy adventurous high that was Spider-Man PS4. I want to do it again. You did get pretty high while playing Spider-Man I PS4. Did, yeah, that was yeah. always pretty lit. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with it, and I think my only problem uh, after the game ended and after I platinumed it was. I want more. Yeah. <laughs> and they're gonna give you more. I uh, wonder if the whole story is just gonna be Black Cat, though. I thought there would be potential for other villains, and maybe there mm-hmm. are, but, I mean, that's cool. She wasn't in the main game, so it'd be nice to have her No. Her I mean, you kind of get, like, fetch questy side quests with her. Yeah. Where you have to kind of um, get to these weird, like, outposts or perch and right. find where she is. I don't know. Yeah, she, like, hit a jammer or something like that. Mm-hmm. You do that, like, 30 times and you get a suit. Yeah. yeah. The suit's really cool, though. The suit is good, the suit's though. Fucking I will awesome. give them that. The suit is uh, very good. What other villains could you see interplaying with uh, Black Cat? With Black Cat? Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. I don't... I, she always went toe-to-toe with, like, Kingpin from mm-hmm. time to time. It would be kind of cool if, like, Kingpin gets out, you know, during the steel Like, scene. she breaks her out? Or she breaks him out? uh maybe not even that but maybe he just gets out and hmm. i don't know mix that into the height it just seems like it would fit to me okay. i don't know but otherwise i hey fine if it's just black cat cool she, i'd be into it she has she's a fan favorite i really like their interplay over the comms like while you're doing her miss- missions i thought mm-hmm. it was really neat and i kind of was bummed that there wasn't more of it and that they did kind of save it for dlc That's but true. i don't know it'll be interesting to see how they flush are you gonna do new game new game plus probably to be yeah. honest. Yeah, Although yeah. I did kind of just start a new, new game for the fuck of it. No, um, cancel that. Uh, yeah, I'm going to cancel that. It's dead. I'm going to start a new game plus because, I don't know, I got a lot of cool skills and my, my Spidey Man is strong and I got all those Gnar suits. Are you going to do the whole game as Ghost Spider? Maybe. The whole game where he's just hanging out with Mary Jane with a flaming skull? The city truly will never sleep with that <laughs> costume on. It's very halloween Yeah. Another hit here for you, save roommates. Red Dead Redemption 2, reported to be close to a 100 gigabyte install, will release on two discs. According to Rockstar's support site, PS4 users will need to free up 99 gigabytes for installation space, while Xbox One users will need 107 gigabytes of free space. Heavens to Betsy! That's so much. For digital installs on PS4, players will require an additional 50 gigs for just the installation process on top of the 99 gigabyte for the game install. A tweet by Rockstar claims players can delete the 50 gigabyte install data after. A tweet by Gunslinger and YouTube creator Kofi confirms the rumors that the game is on two discs with a picture he posted on the of the game in its case. Quote, last thing I'm going to speak on since people are just dying to know, Red Dead Redemption 2 does have a double disc. The first disc is a data disc, and the second is a play disc. Probably have to just install the first disc. Game does not come with a map, which will I, which I will not share. So, 
what does that speak to? Does that speak to that we've just kind of hit the confines of what uh, current-gen architecture can handle? Or is this game just so overstuffed with content and geography and, and horse, horses? Yeah, and horse balls. Horse balls. The, the horse balls are too big for I the mean, game. I mean, you can fucking see every bullet that he reloads into a gun. I'm surprised this isn't four discs and you gotta you gotta go search for them yourself. You gotta learn how to ride a horse and find the other three discs when you buy Red Dead Redemption Two. There's a fucking treasure map that you get that like interplays with the game. That's how they they help with server load because <laughs> some of our players are out there in the wilderness still. But goddamn it, when they find it, we need to have our servers. Active. I didn't realize this was gonna be an AR game. <laughs> this is why they delayed online until November. Mm. They're like, we can't let them all jump in at once. We will die. <laughs> If I'm not yeah. wrong here, and I might be wrong, I'm often wrong when I say things. You're is, beautiful. You're never wrong. Thank you. Is this the first time we've seen a PS4 game or a current gen game straddle two discs? I really think so, actually. Yeah. That's why it's kind of really unusual. I I can imagine that there might be two disc sets for one reason or another, but mm-hmm. not the same content on a fucking Blu-ray disc spread across each well, other. We've seen it with certain collections. Like, I think the Back to Arkham collection did that for the Arkham games, and uh, the Bioshock collection did, did that. that where... Oh, yeah, the Bioshock collection did have more than one disc, right? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that was multiple games. Yeah. you saying this is worth multiple games worth? Goodness It's gracious. not even multiple games worth. It's one disc is install yeah. information, and the other is 90 gigs of uh, just a fucking game. Watch. Sunsets are just, like, literally 20 gigabytes of information that go up and down. That's why it's needed. Oh God. But, God damn, dude. That's what, crazy. What are you going to do with your fucking PlayStation? You're, you're maxed, man. I have to just export everything to my external. Everything except Overwatch. And what is this thing where there's an extra 50 gigabyte install that's deletable after? What the fuck is that? Right. Is it is it trying to help the, the bulk of the, the data get through? And it's, it's, it's confused. It's so large and massive. It needs a fucking guide. That fucking install is the gatekeeper. <laughs> right? What's going on? It's, it's kind of crazy. I don't know. I've never quite seen anything like that. I mean, I've seen it with Call of Duty games where I think right. Infinite Warfare was probably close to 100. But that was also another yeah, game. Yeah, that one was fucked up. Yeah. So, but god damn it. It's, I, it's crazy to see that we've reached the... We've reached the fullest capacity for Blu-ray de- mm-hmm. discs and data. The fact that, like, okay, that's as much as one disc in house. Like, that's nuts. <laughs> Yo, for no- next console generation, they really need to keep in mind that maybe even one terabyte would not be enough for some of these fucking games that are coming out. Yeah, could you imagine if you get, like... So, you're not like us. You're not an average consumer. Like, you're getting your PS4 for the first time to get Red Dead. You're getting the edition that comes with it or whatever. Yeah. And... Already a fourth of your hard drive is compromised just by Red Dead alone. That's insane <laughs> to me. These fucking horses are stampeding all over my goddamn storage. Damn it, Rockstar. <laughs> I don't know whether or not to be excited or very unexcited about this. Because I remember back in the day, you remember how Metal Gear Solid Five was only like less than a 20 gigabyte install? And people mm. were like, how the fuck did you do that for such a massive open world game? Especially for a game that's mostly cutscenes. And they were just like, yeah, it was actually just you know good systems that we had in place good tools mm. <laughs> that's what adeo said wow. so what does this mean for them it's just like fuck are they struggling against their tools they might be yeah maybe we'll, we'll figure it out we'll yeah i don't really know what sort of architecture uh rockstar is using for this game if they're using old engines maybe it's just every amount of asset they've ever put in the game and every piece of code it's there <laughs> i'm just gonna say this i mean if you're if one of the games that you released gta 5 
had made it has made fucking eight billion dollars mm-hmm. essentially. You can figure out how to put a game on one disc. I just want I just want to say that that's it. That's it. Anyway, I want to. You said this to me before we recorded that to put this in context. What this game GTA Five has sold six billion copies worldwide. Oh, no, no, it's made six billion dollars. Okay. It's made worldwide. six billion dollars in total worldwide compared right. against what James Cameron's Avatar, which is two point eight billion. Yeah, what a what a joke. James, Jimmy, you couldn't even match a video game, Jimmy. <laughs> With all your fucking 3D tickets that you tried to sell, you can't match a $60 video game. I just don't even understand the sales of of that game. It seems like people that don't even own a console are buying GTA 5 to like hang it up in their house. <laughs> <laughs> so, last thing I got on here for you is Days Gone has been delayed to April 26, 2019. You can get it from my burr. Oh wait, no. <laughs> my birthday is the 14th i could get you a like an install like i can get you the game digitally and give me the pre-download bro install it there you go nice dude yeah (laughs) right next to red dead which is will be suffocating the rest of the games on my hard drive that's not even including like all the further updates oh my god that game's gonna be ridiculous (laughs) online's not even baked into the launch what the fuck anyway days gone sony ben wanted to move their ps4 exclusive out of february which is already crowded by anthem metro exodus and maybe crackdown 3 if they ever actually fucking release that game Mm -hmm. the ps blog says that ben studio will take the opportunity to further polish days gone okay 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 two things here Mm -hmm. one I'm not very interested in Days Gone, and I feel like that seems to be the general consensus of people that hear it. There's something about a post-apocalyptic zombie game that isn't Last of Us that for some reason hits the snooze button for a lot of people out there. Second thing here. uh, However, (laughs) I think this game might be a surprise hit. You think so? I think they're putting a lot of fucking effort, and Sony Bend is betting on this game on the same way that Guerrilla Games did for Horizon. Mm -hmm. I think they're looking at it as a game that's going to pull them out of obscurity. Not, not to say that they don't have a, uh, a covetous history. They're the guys that did Siphon Filter for mm-hmm. so many years. But, I mean, come on. Uh, Gorilla has kind of the same history where they were doing, um, what was it, Killzone. Mm-hmm. And then people were like, yeah, you know, Killzone, it's hit or miss with me. And then Horizon, it's a hit with mm-hmm. a lot of people. I think they're betting on Days Gone this way. And that's why they're taking so much time and effort and not showing us so much. This game might be a surprise, dude. It may not be as boring as we may, well, everything looks so far. I mean, from what I've seen so far since its initial, I think, what, 2016 E3 mm-hmm. trailer, I haven't seen anything that's really wowed me. It, the gameplay looks cool. Um, that's going to be the really telling thing for me. Like, once I get my hands on it or once more media types get their hands on it and, like, word of mouth starts to circulate, then I'll know, like, okay, is it even worth picking up? But from, like, a narrative i don't even know what the story is i don't see Mm -hmm. any compelling um cinematic reason to get into it like i wanted to get into the last of us and they haven't shown us they haven't really showed us very much beyond like oh we can do a lot of zombie sorry sorry freakers freakers and people are kind of like yeah but you know last of us what is it doing that last of us didn't and it's like well keep in mind days gone's open world Mm -hmm. last of us is not an open world game days gone is what are they going to do with that what does that mean What's going on with the bike? Is it going to be like my horse in Red Dead where I got to take care of it? You know, like it's a huge component or is it a throwaway thing where I'm picking up other... Like they need to tell us more if this game is actually supposed to come out in April. Mm -hmm. And I thought PSX would be another perfect opportunity for that, but we're not getting one this year. And they really didn't make a big showcase or anything at all at this year's E3. No, I think it was part of a sizzle reel. 
So either <laughs> they got something real special under the hood that they're going to fucking wow us with at the last minute, or it's going to be kind of like what we expected. My expectations are nowhere for it. Like, yeah, yeah, I could give or take, like, I could take it or leave it, to be honest. I have no investment in it. But if people start talking about it, like, yeah, it's actually like a must play game, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll wait for it to go down to like 50 or 40 bucks. Hey, but sometimes so. when expectations are absolutely baseline, flatline, we mm-hmm. should say in this case, yeah. that is an opportunity to wow people the most. Because people are going to be fucking surprised if you do anything beyond the blandness that they almost uh, set themselves to expect. Yeah, that's fair. I'm thinking about, like, think about Rocksteady. Rocksteady didn't have anything going on. Mm-hmm. And then people were like, oh, they're making a Batman game? I don't know. Batman games have been trash. Yeah. And then Arkham came out and everyone's fucking pants were blown off. It's true. So, so let's see. I think it's a smart maneuver to get it out of February. Because oh, yeah. that game was going to get swallowed by oh, my God. by Anthem mostly. I would say, yeah, Anthem's probably going to rule the roost of that month. But April is a good slow time for games to come out. And no. if anybody's going to talk about it, they're going to talk about it there. And make sure you polish the shit out of it so nobody yeah. has anything bad to say. That's true. I like that. Did you like that? That was good. That's how Did we you rehearsed that before? No, not at all. So, <laughs> it came right out of me. <laughs> I was possessed even. Speaking of possession, I want to do some kind of middle of the episode housekeeping here. That's weird, right? Yeah, go go for we, it. Sometimes we it's do weird, it the front, yes. sometimes we do it at the end, sometimes we yeah. do it at the back. Whatever. Speaking of spooky shit, my dude Kevin here, he recorded a, a special save room episode called The Spooky Room with our friend Jess. I sure did. Uh, it came out really awesome. It was his first editing project. It really was. Now yeah. I understand what you're crying about all yeah. the time. Those... It's really just crying about it. <laughs> how, how long was the project for you? Uh, okay, so I sat down with it on a Sunday at 9 a.m. and mm-hmm. I didn't get up until like 7 p.m. So that long. Okay. It was a day's work. Yeah, you literally, like, I've been editing all day, and I'm like, yeah, I know that feeling. Like, there's yeah. some episodes that I can turn around and edit within, like, the length of the episode itself. Sometimes it takes me two hours additional, sometimes five, so. Yeah, I and then you get re- you can get really obsessive with that shit, yeah. too, and, like, just going back and editing the same thing over and over until you hit that exact right mark of what you want. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the proudest success is when you don't know there's an edit at all. And I'm listening to it and just going, like, fuck, fuck. fuck but other people like that sounds fine dude you're like cool i nailed it (laughs) yeah so that was a lot of fun we talked about horror movies Mm -hmm. please check that out yeah it was super super dope it it was cool to hear them talk Uh, she's a longtime friend of ours and they talk every sort of horror movie you can imagine and i don't know it's just it was a good conversation um so you can check that out over at uh, itunes google play stitcher rs feeds and that was the big one you can find us now on spotify we got approved for the podcast beta so that's cool don't know how they let us on there but we were on there there's no curation (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i know if you're in the mood for something spooky check that out it'll be worth your time and both daniel and myself have been streaming some spooky ass shit all month you can catch daniel at twitch.tv slash dungeons and daniels he's playing a little re7 i did yeah i did that speed run i was telling you guys about earlier and then i was just gonna do like a random like maybe on halloween or closer towards the end of the month just yeah. do dlc from re7 nice. and zoe would be so fucking sick yeah and you can find my own streamicle at twitch.tv slash the red herb i am also streaming re <laughs> and some other horror games and whatnot mm-hmm. maybe i'll catch one on the psn deal and play something entirely new entirely spooky that'd be cool or or not just or maybe we'll just resident get, evil yeah we might get down on re6 sorry yeah. tyler man sorry dude anyway bummer 
Hey, safe roommates, we have a topic for you. This is something that you may have already caught wind of in the news. It's all anybody seems to be talking about right now. But the uh, the high level, it's about crunch. It's about what's fair behind the scenes, especially when it comes to video game development. On another level, it's about Rockstar Games, mm -hmm. uh, the pioneer of such titles as Grand Theft Auto, Smuggler's Run, Bully, I'm just going deeper down there. The Warriors game. As we talked about before, a bunch of games I've never played before. <laughs> Smugglers Run 2. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, and and kind of, you know, some questions about the working conditions, a lot of um, dialogue that's coming both from inside the studio and outside of the studio, mm -hmm. and from former Desert Studio. Just a lot of shit to unpack. We are not the end-all, be-all source nope. of this story. Please check out uh, Jason Schreier's covering Kotaku. He even intends to release a longer kind of expose about working conditions behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But we did kind of want to chronicle this and talk about on a greater scale crunch so it's, it's interesting too because this is all coming in in the highly anticipated release of red dead redemption 2 i'm not sure if this whole story breaking or all that's transpiring is going to affect end sales or people's perception of rockstar in the the grand scheme of things I'd say it would probably not affect sales. no i think i think people who want to buy rockstar games are still going to buy them yeah, regardless of what happens behind the scenes. But mm. I mean, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I just want to say that right now. I don't think that like, oh, the way that we get industry wide changes to stop buying games. I mean, that, that's still these these workers livelihood. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's just about the climate and the culture, crunch culture in specific and how people are treating and what's fair. When it comes down to it, I don't want somebody breaking their fucking back over a video game. If it needs to get pushed out, it needs to get pushed out. That's mm -hmm. okay, that kind of thing. But it's not It's not just that games are on the hook with uh, the players or their promises. It's these promises for deadlines and dates and release dates are also on the investor side. Yeah. They're also on the quarterly side. They're also on you know the liquid side of what a company can or cannot do and how they allocate their funds throughout a year. There's so many things. It doesn't mean the system's good or it doesn't mean that these are excuses. These are just reasons. There's mm -hmm. a difference between a reason and an excuse. If the reason's not good, then yes, there needs to be improvement. <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's totally it, okay? But I don't want to, like, honestly, I don't want to make this conversation about condemning a certain studio, you know? They could be better, from what I'm hearing, mm -hmm. absolutely. But it sounds like, you know, they're not a bunch of idiots, especially when we get through the story. Yeah, and it definitely seems like they've already grown and learned from their previous uh, slip-ups and problems. Leadership is not a bunch of idiots, that's what yes. I'm <laughs> No, I'm also not saying the workers are a bunch <laughs> of idiots. <laughs> so, okay, do, before we get into it, do you have any other just like super high-level thoughts about this situation? Super high level thoughts about it. Um, so when it all kind of came out, it was all taken out of context from um, an interview. I think Dan Hauser did with the Ver or the Vulture, right? Right. I'll get all into that. So, I just like, what is your what is your general reaction to you know this? How does it make you feel engaging with like a big budget blockbuster, knowing that it takes so like people are suffering to get it out in some circumstances i mean it makes me feel terrible for those people mm -hmm. who are crunching the wet that they are and, and putting their blood sweat and tears into these these projects that are at the end of the day they're toys you're not 
doctors, you're not scientists, you're not like, you know, breaking new advances in medical history that are going to make our lives better. You're literally putting out a video game. And I think the the emphasis to push people to the brink of exhaustion, mentally, physically, um, to have people in these situations where they are being put away from their families and all this other stuff just to kind of meet a deadline it's really unacceptable and, and kind of horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not something that, you know, you would think would be present in the, the industry, but honestly, it's been something that's been going around for like 40 something years now. Like crunch culture is kind of, I don't want to say it's, it's integral to the industry, but it's kind of become a common thing where people, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's just how creativity works and functions where people maybe, and towards the beginning of a project, they can't hit it as hard because they don't have a grander idea, but maybe looming towards a deadline all the moving pieces are there and they know, go, go, go. We got to do this. Yo, are we actual games media now that we get to say moving pieces mm-hmm. about a topical discussion? Oh right. my God. Oh my God. This is a save room first. It is a save room first. Oh um, my God. But for me, it it sucks. I don't want to hear that anybody's breaking their back over anything like that. And um, as somebody who works 40 hour work weeks and comes mm-hmm. away from that exhausted, I couldn't imagine working potentially twice as much of that time and how you must feel after that. It's, it's got to really like take away from you. And I know coding and developing data and lines and code, like that's not easy stuff. That is like sitting in front of a computer for hours a day doing that, like that gets to you. Here's the thing that's <laughs> hard to swallow on a spreadsheet is that more hours does not mean more productivity mm-hmm. because, well, you have to look at your human resources mm-hmm. as a resource. It's depletable. You know, creativity is something that needs to be recharged just like anything else. People need to take a break. People need to uh, gather influence from things outside of the computer screen that you have them locked to in order to hit a deadline. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to be human. They need to experience. They need rest. And then they come back and they're more productive when you mm-hmm. treat them like that. When you treat them with respect that you protect their time and their interest you know because mm-hmm. it's not just about i feel like that gets you know preyed upon in certain ways yeah and it there's a lot of different reasons why crunch happens it's not just a one kind of like mm-hmm. we mandated overtime and that's the only kind no there, there's people out there that take so much pride in their work mm-hmm. that they have no problem stretching themselves they don't know that they're doing it sometimes yeah. you know how many times have you been like working on a project even editing this i mean tomatoes tomatoes mm-hmm. here but you know, where you got stuck doing it kind of and just didn't realize that the passage of time occurred. I mean, I get stuck on creative loops with editing in specific because I had sometimes I have a certain uh, vision for how I want an an episode to sound Mm -hmm. or the sort of narrative that we're trying to construct over a topic or over news things. And like, I have a vision for it and I want it to come out good. And that's just kind of like how I toil over it. I think for me, a better comparison is um, music. Um, granted they're two different sort of things, but they're both creative fields, creative endeavors. So when I was going to school and getting my, my music degree, the perpetual mindset was that you need to be shedding and practicing at least eight hours a day. That is just eight hours a day of you practicing. That's not including you going to school, practicing for leisure, you writing. That's just like you learning how to sight read and do this and do that and like shed on your instrument. And that mindset permeated like every instrumentalist whether you played bass or you played drums or you played piano like it that was the mindset that like that music department kind of put forward and like yeah i i agree like you know you don't get better at something by not doing it you definitely need to put your time into it but i would have 
eight to 10 hour days of just playing music and I would burn the shit out of myself where it's like, Mm -hmm. I'd be like trying to read, like sight read a passage and I would kind of unlearn or walk back on my own progress because I've been doing it for so long and I'm like, I'm actually not accomplishing anything. And then I would kind of like have to put it to bed for the night, come back to the next day, feel refreshed and be like, cool, now I feel more apt to kind of tackle this on. I feel unless... Okay, unless your workers are doing a very procedural job where yeah. it's always if-then kind of work, yeah. where it's like there's an A to a B to a C for it, which is not creative endeavors. That's not design work. That's not narrative work. Mm-hmm. But when it's like that, it's like to say, okay, we're going to mandate overtime and get the same result, but more, that kind of starts to make sense. But to apply it to the artistic endeavors that mm-hmm. are required to make a big budget game, it doesn't make sense because it assumes that your workers are 100% creative 100% of the time. That's not true. It's very not true. You that's, get burned that's out. That's one of the hardest variables in a creative industry where it's like, you're not always going to have the same level of energy or interest in what you're working on every day. And I know that's hard for like publishers and investors to see because they're not mm-hmm. seeing that. Like They don't care about that side. They care about the bottom dollar. They care about like their end-year fiscals or their quarterly fiscals and how that looks for investors and stockholders. And it's just like you need to really look inward and look at like how your teams function and what they're doing, what they're putting out. Because like you can't push them to do 50-hour weeks and expect them to have a high-quality output every time consistently. Exactly. It's, not, it's not practical. <laughs> so here's how this story began. Let's mm-hmm. walk through the story. Sure. On October 14th, Vulture.com published a rare look behind the scenes at Rockstar Games. Quote, or it was called How the West Was Digitized, The Making of Rockstar Games' Red Dead Redemption 2. Written by Harold Goldberg, details the seven-year effort behind the game and features interviews with company co-founders Sam and Dan Hauser, who to date have been reluctant to speak candidly with games media. Mm-hmm. When discussing the amount of labor put into realizing the 2,000-page script as a game, Dan Hauser said, quote, We were working 100-hour weeks several times in 2018. So this is where it all yes. began. This has been the launch pad for social media discussion and media discussion all week. Correct. That quote of, we were working 100 our weeks. Now, I don't agree that, you know, it's not like Rockstar is being blindsided because we do have that instance of the Rockstar Spouses letter mm-hmm. that came out around Red Dead Redemption 1's release, mm-hmm. um, which kind of condemned the working climate within the company. I don't know much about the letters myself. Like, I didn't read those. Did it, you? I kind of pulled it up. I did a hyperlink into the doc for it, but it is. Uh, it was on um, Gameratsu back in 2010 where the wives came together. They wrote an open letter to, uh, I think it was Rockstar San Diego, mm-hmm. um, telling Angel Studios. There you go. Uh, talking to the heads and addressing them, like, hey, like you're having um, developers and all these people working on your teams working like 50 plus hour weeks, and like they're coming home, they're mentally drained, they're not well, they can't tend to their families, they're not like the same person in the middle of the project or the, at the end than when they started. And these women were just like corralling the effort and be like, hey, like we want our husbands back, we want our loved ones back, and if you're going to push them to these limits, we need to make sure their rights are protected, um, that they're being compensated fairly, uh, fairly, and that mm-hmm. yeah, if they want mm-hmm. to be able to, that they can unionize and garner better rights from themselves. So it's kind of like a call to arms. It's, it's a really interesting read. Cool. Um, okay. Right on, right on. So. I, I figured that was happening. Yeah. The, the other component here is, well, surprisingly, Telltale. Mm-hmm. We looked at Telltale and we're hearing the stories of these workers who are being super candid because who the fuck cares? Yeah. They were fired. 
they were not taken care of yeah. from the you know the wreckage of Telltale. So they're being very candid about their experiences and talking about crunch culture, talking about how poor management was systemic, was at the root for mm-hmm. a lot of the poor choices or just a lot of things that shook out the way that they did there. So we had that fresh in our mind, and of course we pulled this fucking quote and yeah. blew it up and reacted to it harshly. I don't think that's necessarily fair because he did go on to clarify. He had to walk it back. Yeah, yeah, essentially he walked it back. I'll talk about that real quick. It was that statement compounded by previous murmurings of mandated overtime at the studio, which launched discussion, arguments, and outrage about crunch, which is the term applied to periods of overtime, sometimes mandated and unpaid, toward the end of a project in order to meet a deadline. Mm -hmm. Every media junket you could imagine including those outside of the gaming industry fold, have committed copy and video to this topic. So much so, Dan Hauser stepped out in front of it to clarify his statement. Again, somebody who has famously not spoken to press and Rockstar beforehand had a very like shush policy. The policy was mum mm-hmm. about their inner workings. Hauser said to The Verge, quote, The point I was trying to make in the article was related to how the narrative and dialogue in the game was crafted, which was mostly what we talked about, not about the different processes of the wider team. After working on the game for seven years, the senior writing team, which consists of four people, Mike Unsworth, Rupert Humphreys, Laszlo, and myself, had, as we always do, three weeks of intense work when we wrapped everything up. Three weeks, not years. Mm -hmm. Now, he also went on to say, we don't ask to... We don't ask or expect anyone to work anything like this. Lots of other senior people work in an entirely different way and are just as productive. I'm just not one of them. No one, senior or junior, is ever forced to work hard. I believe we uh, go to great lengths to run a business that cares about its people and to make the company a great place for them to work. Now, I want to walk back. There's something about the mentality here. Mm-hmm. Now, I think this is great coming out and just kind of saying, like, this is what's up, clarifying. And I think we should take that into account. He's not, this is, even Rockstar is not saying that, oh, yeah, or I mean to say the employees is not saying, yeah, we all suffer 100-hour work weeks mm-hmm. because of fucking, you know, leadership. That's not what's happening. I think that's closer to the narrative that we're used to hearing with other studios, Telltale included. Yeah. That's not necessarily what's going on here. Let's get there. And also, we don't know. We don't fucking work for Rockstar. We okay? don't. It's crazy too, because like that statement was taken, the hundred hour statement was taken so out of context, and I, yeah. it honestly could have been hyperbole, hyperbole in the moment where like I never just, land that word. No, nah, it's a it. it's a hard one, but yeah. it could have just been him exaggerating a little bit. Like, yeah, you, maybe that's not the amount of hours they logged. Maybe he was just speaking in broad strokes of like, yeah, that's how many hours like conceptually we push ourselves because it's like this is our brainchild. We are the writing team. How many times have you, as a creative type, like towards the a deadline of something, just worked on it like hour to hour? Like it's just what you do because you want to see it come together. It's true. I've had many <laughs> times, and I will say the company that I work at, I, all these opinions are yeah. my own, yeah. by the way. But the company I work at takes care of me, and I am fairly mm-hmm. compensated when I put in OT. Yes. Okay. So I'll say that I have worked for companies where I have stretched myself thin just to get to a result, not realizing that hey. We're fucking breaking our backs because of poor management. Mm -hmm. Because a shipment had to go out and nobody, like, things did not land when they needed to, Mm -hmm. essentially. You know, that wasn't on me, but it's like I had to suffer for it. You remember in my last job, I was fucking sitting there until, like, 3 a.m. some nights just because it's like, oh, well, it's got to go out before PAX. You know, it's just like, what the fuck, dude? That's unfair. That's not cool. Well, that was poor management all around. Poor management, but I was also a hard worker. And I do things like that too, or I get stuck on like, you know, little projects, you know, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to the save room or writing and just going a little overboard on some of it sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
And that's dangerous, not just for yourself, because you need to like rein it in and take those breaks. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous for the example you're setting. We're seeing in a lot of instances where it's like, okay, well, if you're in a company or you're on a team, let's say you put in 60 hours a week, you know, especially if you're in a position of like leadership Mm -hmm. or maybe just team lead. And your workers are noticing that, and it's totally fair, totally acceptable for them to put in their 40 hours and go home, but they see you doing that, and it's like, okay, well, if I want to get noticed like this dude is, or I want to get to his position, I got to put in those hours too. I got to bust my balls. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of systemic. That is crunch culture. Yes. You know, it just permeates throughout, and there's there's some people out there, I, I think you had a quote, right, from Adam Boyd about that, saying that he was working his ass off. And because uh, he's talking about it on Twitter, he's working his ass off at his company and he was on a board of like the top three people contributing hours. And mm-hmm. like he was third with like 113 hours, third wow. of putting that much into a week. And he was like, that's a bad example that I set for yeah. other people because I made it seem like that was the norm. Yeah, that's it's wearing a very weird badge of honor and glorifying working yourself ragged. And I, I do understand that like it, it must be hard like to to like be like okay i put in a 40 to maybe 60 hours of work this week i think i did my hardest but then to have it perpetuated not even like because it's not company mandated granted like they're not saying you have to work these crazy overtime weeks um without conversation compensation or this or that but like the the general office mindset of well we see the housers working this hard so we have to work as hard as they are and match them like that becomes unhealthy it becomes not only competition but it just becomes you trying to work as hard as the people who are paying you and you don't need to do that interesting <laughs> quote from the verge by the way talking yeah. about another worker there who was talking about dan hauser and his work ethic and like i'm saying it's like you know he didn't you may not even realize it you're working your hardest because you're so passionate about it but it's like how do you expect somebody who's maybe doing some procedural like program work to mm-hmm. be like oh i've got to be here 80s hours too mm-hmm. <laughs> you know something like that so the article uh this is exactly from the article Navid Kansari, an award-winning director and virtual reality game maker who worked with Dan in a number of Grand Theft Auto games, gets excited remembering his time at Rockstar. He, his quote was, Some people think Dan is a dick, but he wasn't to me. We always worked ourselves to the bone. But it wasn't coming from the top down. Sam and Dan always rolled up their sleeves and were always there. They never left us holding the bag. We all thought we were making badass shit, so it didn't matter how hard we worked. You know... It's easy to say that for like, you know, on a smaller scale, like when your studio is smaller and like a lot of your work is exactly what's going to come forth in the product. Mm -hmm. Or let's say in an instance like a content creator, you know, there's some content creators that bust their fucking ass like with the videos and video editing and doing that shit. And most of them are self-employed, not getting like company benefits or stuff like that. That's on their back. But what happens when when you start to scale and scale big... You know, that mentality doesn't always shake or fare well. You got to be, you know, respectful and understanding and not expect that of other people. Yeah. And it's hard. Like, it, what they're saying is they weren't even telling their employees to be that way. But it's like, yo, you got somebody that's doing that. People are going to want to follow that example. Honestly, I am always inclined to work as hard as the people above me. Um, If I see that my manager has a good work ethic and pushes the team in good, encouraging ways, yeah, I'm going to do it. Um, I haven't had the jobs where I've wanted to push it so hard, but sometimes I do it out of obligation. But if I had like a creative type job where I was like writing for um, Rockstar or like doing music for them or whatever, and I had that mindset of, yeah, we're making cool shit. Let's make it as cool as we can and put all our energy and effort into it. Because that's the sort of creative type I am. I go Mm -hmm. all in. Um, Yeah, I would get lost to it. (laughs) <laughs> I think I would feel exactly the same way. Like I would get lost doing it yeah. and I would want my management to even like be able to spot that mm. and be like, Hey dude, 
we love you. Yeah. This is great. This is great. You need to go home. Like you I, need to fucking go home. <laughs> I, I'm all for celebrating people that work hard because that's what you should do. Right. It's it creates good morale. It creates a good uh, mindset and a, just a good environment to be a part of and work in. But like as a management type, if I saw people working that hard, I would have to check them, and it becomes negligible when they aren't when they're letting people work 80 hours or close to 100 or whatever the case is like you need to step in as management you're like hey like we know that we do this because this is our livelihood and granted it's yours too but like tend to your fields you know go see your family go get something to eat don't live just live because you, know, like, you don't want your team fucking suffering divorces after a period of crunch no. or having to check themselves into the hospital for stress and other disorders Mm-mm. dude so there's another piece of the story and which is, well, Rockstar started becoming more open, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. A really interesting reaction. You'd think they would clam up and fucking be like, we're never talking to the press again after this. Well, but they're actually putting themselves out in front of it. I feel like it would have been bad press for them to clam up and oh, not. Absolutely. Especially with like Red Dead less than a week away at this point. Um, it would have just been the worst thing they could have done. So for them to kind of land in front of it, it's really respectful. Um, and I, I applaud them for doing it. So here's what happened on October 18th. Kotaku's Jason Schreier reported that Rockstar lifted its long-standing social media gag that prevented employees from openly discussing their time with the developer. An internal email spread across Rockstar Studios, which encouraged staff to fly their tweets, face their books, and gram their instas, promising there was no need to sugarcoat anything. The anecdotes shared have been generally positive, with some workers saying that they have never been forced to work anything near 100 hours a week. Now, this is actually from Stryer's article, quote, in the time that I've been at the studio, work practices have definitely improved, said Phil Beveridge. Beveridge, like a beverage. Mm. (laughs) He's a coder at Rockstar North. His quote was, Crunch on Red Dead Redemption 2 has definitely been a lot better than it was on GTA 5, where I was pulling a month of 70 plus hours uh, weeks while being told by my boss at the time to go home, end quote. Yeah, that's that's important. That's the kind of thing we need to see. It sounds like Rockstar had a history of being kind of shitty, mm-hmm. but that they're pivoting around that. I think they're, they're receptive. They're seeing what's going on to other studios, what's happening. Mm-hmm. So, But again, I don't know. It, it, this, this could just be them trying to save face. I don't know. It could be. I mean, it's an interesting way for them to get in front of it and be like, okay, we're going to open you guys up to the public for better or for worse. I mean, yeah, they, they're basically subjecting themselves to a firing squad at that point because people could come forward under the veil of uh, anonymity and talk to Schreier and be like, hey, this is really what's happening. And then we have an expose on one of the biggest studios. I'm excited to read that article. No, I'm super, super excited. I think he's going <laughs> to yeah. do it like such justice. Yeah. I've um, got one last piece on this and then, Okay here's the other side of that story though Mm -hmm. so this is not to say rockstar's internal culture is currently free of crunch rockstar lincoln a uk-based arm of the company that focuses on quality assurance was often uh was often cited as suffering from constant crunch as reported to kotaku by sources within the company lincoln employees were under the impression that overtime was obligatory whereas Rockstar says it was a voluntary request. Mm. Jen Colby, head of Rockstar Publishing, told Kotaku, quote, Through the conversations we've been having, it is clear to us that the requested scheduled overtime felt like an obligation to some, if not many, of the team. We therefore spoke to them to make sure it is clear that the OT is not mandatory. Okay. It seems like that went on for a while before you clarified that. Yeah, like you were okay with perpetuating that and letting it happen. 
I've dealt with something very similar to that where it's like, I'm not sure what, like, so it's OT, but is it voluntary? Is it mandatory? And mm-hmm. then, like, you know, they tell you, yeah, it's mandatory, but, you know, th- isn't there some law that says, no, you can't force your workers? I don't know. It, it's case by case basis. Yeah, I'm sure in different states, it varies across different companies. It varies. Right. My thing is, like, as long as you're compensating them for the overtime and it's not like free overtime or they're actually getting overtime pay mm-hmm. for it, then it's, I feel like it's okay to an extent. Yeah. like it gets to a point where if you're asking people to do 70 hours in overtime like i feel like that it's not like illegal but i feel like it's an issue of ethics at that point yeah <laughs> so i mean we can get into another discussion about ethics and business and how uh it's my belief that a corporation can't be ethical mm-hmm. <laughs> so people can be ethical but a corporation overall has serves one function in the long end which is to make money you know, so it's going to do anything uh, to navigate that course. That's literally your end goal. There isn't anything else yeah. there. And the process of making video games is so freeform. There's no rigid structure. You know, it's not like making a building and saying it's going to be this to this. Things change throughout the course. And, mm-hmm. well, there's not a lot of regulation to that process. It's, it's crazy to think that there is no regulation or set structure for that. But, I mean, it, it plays to the idea that creativity is like... I don't know. There's no linearity to it. You, your ideas come to you as they do, and then the rest of it comes as it does. Like, Yeah, for sure. But, I, you know, it goes forward where it's like, yeah, it really, really, really looks like we need, you know, unionization. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what's up. I mean, look at... I'm not saying Hollywood is perfect. No. <laughs> but they protect their people. There's safeguards in place mm-hmm. monetarily, physically, all across the board, across stunt people, actors, writers even, mm-hmm. have their own guilds. And all of this creative effort's going into video games, and it's like, you know, come on, dude. They need to be protected from shit like well, this. Well, at the current state as it is, I mean, we always say that, like, video games are still so nascent we're kind of in the wild yeah. wild west of gaming um however you want to frame it um but as it stands like i think voice actors are the only ones that have protected rights through what sag after sag after yeah um which is great um but i think that's just because it's an extension of hollywood it is a type of acting so yeah. they probably have extensive grants i'm that. glad you brought them up because you remember that whole little eternal strife because they went on strike for a while because yeah. they felt that their rights weren't being protected by the uh, business practices of big game studios and a lot of devs from different studios would come out and be like why do they deserve this shit when we don't have it Mm -hmm. and i'm like do you understand that that's not the right mentality the right mentality is what they're asking for is exactly what i should have too i yeah what they're saying is not a bad thing Mm -hmm. just because you don't have in fact a lot of different like especially in this conversation about crunch a lot of different industries are like oh i fucking bust my ass like this and nobody gives a shit and it's just like yeah that sucks dude it doesn't mean everyone should suffer and not cry about it it means something needs to change yeah (laughs) something needs to improve there needs to be a tipping point and i feel like the situation that happened with uh, telltale and its dissolution and all the stuff that's happening at um rockstar i feel like these are going to be big signal flares of change in the industry of, of what we need to do going forward it's not a privilege to work for a corporation mm-hmm. it is a privilege to have you as a worker that should always be the mentality always be the mentality because you can't build anything off of the backs of nothing you build it off the backs of people's effort mm-hmm. of people it's been like that since the dawn of time well unfortunately like ceos and hires higher ups and financial advisors and stockholders and investors they don't think about it that way 
like they think about it. no it's a privilege for you to work on this product product right you should want to put your name on this right no matter the cost and it's like that's such a weird way to look at it side shoot here smaller businesses are actually much more prevalent with that kind of mindset mm-hmm. because they're so like a business owner is so proud of their either their product their business the way that they watched it birth into the world mm-hmm. and grow that they feel like their workers should feel the same thing but it's like if you're if your workers don't have any equity in your company you need to be respectful of their time I feel like that was a constant problem for you with your previous company where Correct. you were always told it's a privilege for you to be doing this. You're you're and in video games. You're and doing there's something. so much opportunity yeah. as well. You know? And it's like, wow, I mean, most of the opportunities I have now I had to fight for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really not associated with any of the fucking labor and bullshit that I went through. Mm-hmm. You know? So there's a lot of times where it's like I so those late nights in order to get shit done that happened and shouldn't have happened, mm-hmm. I got to a point where I just started setting standards for myself and saying, like, I'm always going to leave by sundown. I need to be home. Mm-hmm. I need to sleep. I need to be with, you know, my significant other. I can't be here laboring away in a fucking warehouse. There know? were literally days, and this is when we lived back in Florida, where you would travel, you'd be gone for a week. Um, then the next day after you'd get back from a flight, say you get landed at like, I don't know, midnight or mm-hmm. in, in the AM hours, you'd be expected to show up at 10 AM the next day before your boss got there and work well after he's gone. Yeah. Like, the, the only, <laughs> the only North star was the end result, which was like, get this job done. Yeah. That's it. That That's all that mattered. Make money. That's all that mattered. It didn't matter how you got there mm-hmm. and it didn't matter how much you suffered to get there. And it didn't matter how much uh, lack of a help I had to do it. And that's that's just short-sighted, it's poor management, and it's deluded expectations of the people that you work with. Mm-hmm. Again, it is a privilege to have you work for me. Not the other way around. That's a fair point. You're here to help. So if you ever, like, enter your, you know, it, what's funny is when I'm when I'm twitching out there, I'm streaming, some people are asking me for, like, advice about, like, you know, their job and stuff and, like, their pain points mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, I got one dude who's pretty cool I've been talking to. And, you know, I, I just tell him, like, dude, you ha- you absolutely have rights. The things that you're describing, it's like, yeah, there's this amount of guilt. Like, I think his schedule is getting fucked with. And it's like, yeah, your boss is going to guilt you because it's a pain in the ass when you come up to him after they set a schedule mm-hmm. and say, like, hey, no, I can't do that. And But that's their job to figure that shit out, mm-hmm. not fucking guilt you or freak out or yeah. even tell you you need to figure it out. Or make you have to reprioritize <laughs> your work-life balance for yeah. them. It's like, no, that's not on you. That shouldn't be on you. Nah, dude. I, when a company starts stepping on your toes, like, you know, I used to work for Spencer's back in the day mm-hmm. when I was like a kid. They, I was going to school at the time and I told them I always need Monday, at least Monday evenings off because I'm taking these uh, classes. Mm-hmm. And what did they do? After I told them and let them know a month in advance, schedule me on every Monday. Yep. And said they couldn't do it because no one else did, like could work it. <sighs> oh. And then you stop showing up on those Mondays uh, and your job is jeopardized and then you stop showing up for school because, well, your job's in jeopardy. And that's you know like, what choice I made? I stopped going to school. Yeah. That's a fucking mistake. I, you, do you think I even put Spencer's on my goddamn resumes anymore, dude? I do not. It is so far gone in history. I have so much other experience, so much more value that has nothing to do with the piss poor time that I spent there. So do not fucking suffer on behalf of a corporation. Do not let your personal life suffer. That's the whole point of Mm -hmm. that, you know? That's what I want to say about crunch, dude. That balance is absolutely needed. People need to recharge like any resource. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't effectively do a job while maxing yourself out on time like that. Like you really can't. So, Rockstar, mm-hmm. 
We've heard some people talk about it. We've heard some people say some negative things mm-hmm. as well. well. There was one former, uh, was it a former PR guy who said uh, working on GTA 4 was like having a gun held to his head seven days a week? Oh my God. Yeah. It... So I'm going to pull it up here. This is kind of mm-hmm. under the aegis of the good, the bad, and the ugly, keeping with the Western theme. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the crunch. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the crunch. <laughs> Where um, leading up to Schreier's um, article and Rockstar lifting the social media ban and all this other stuff. We had like kind of accounts here from ex employees who worked on previous projects, whether it was GTA or LA Noir. Um, and then after the ban came up, you had different accounts of people speaking some some favorably, some ill of the company about their time there. And it's created an interesting narrative, like on both sides of like, well, yes, they perpetuate in some regards. Yes, they. Uh, have forced me to do it or no, they haven't. And it, it's kind of important to stress like you have that you're going to get an inconsistent work experience across different teams, whether you're working for Red Dead, like you might be in a different studio where there's a different mindset or a different culture about it. Different so, pressures, different, different pressures. management, different everything. So like working for the audio studio that puts together like the sound design for the game is different than working for the design team who, you know, does all the visual models and coding. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's different. So you have to consider that too. Um, so we're, we're hearing different accounts from people across the board here. We can start with the bad. Um, <laughs> one of the biggest ones that stood out to me was um, from her handle on um, Twitter is at um, Jen Sandercock. And this was part of an October 16th thread. It starts, quote, I worked at a AAA company once. When I started, everyone looked so miserable after literally years of hard work and crunch. So late one night after work, I baked two cakes for the office. I sent out a mass email, and we all took 30 minutes to eat cake and talk. Neat. It became a regular thing once a week, which aptly was called Cake Day. For a newcomer to the company, this helped me immensely to meet people in different departments. When I got bugs about audio or lighting, I knew who to contact because I chatted to them over cake. We openly expected to work late on weekends very regularly. In my own time, I made cakes, and it was something many look forward to once a week for a short 30 minutes. It helped morale significantly. A mini non-scientific study I did showed more bugs were fixed on cake day. After quite a few months of this, I got pulled aside by my boss. Apparently the higher-ups thought our entire office slacked off all day, all the time, because we had cake once a week. I was told that I was jeopardizing my career by continuing to make cakes for the office. I was told that we could do cake day, but only during lunch hour, when people are eating lunch and don't really need that essential afternoon tea break with lots of sugar. I tried to push back. The day I was told not to do cake day, I had already baked a cake. I was so scared I decided not to announce anything. I never ate that cake. It was a portal cake. That's what voluntary crunch pressure does. It scares people into believing there is no other choice. Today I've sworn I'll never work anything that doesn't allow employees 30 minutes once a week to do something like cake day. Lucky for me, I now have to make cake as part of my hashtag edible (laughs) games job. If you enjoy crunch, fine, but recognize how it affects others around you. Since it's relevant to this week's conversation, or for those that don't know me, the AAA company was Team Bondi, which is, they're known for doing L.A. Noir. The publisher pressuring my boss to tell me off for cake day was Rockstar, and that's the end of her thread. Kind of like a really eye-opening account from somebody who has previous experience with Rockstar. It, it sucks to kind of be terrorized in a way for, for something she was doing that she thought was a good thing, and I, I feel likewise, it's a good initiative when isn't that the worst part of this she was really doing something that i have experienced myself in an office workplace that's so beneficial it's a team builder man to have this commonality where we sit down talk about you know bullshit about whatever project maybe i'm meeting somebody i've never seen before like she was saying she was connecting with people that she had dependencies on Mm -hmm. but was unaware of beforehand but cake day brought them together 
it you need that kind of morale. You need people to be people instead of drones. Well, it's shitty that they had to do the morale and team building within themselves, that it wasn't being pervaded or perpetuated by right. the higher-ups, like that they're not instilling this positivity or... I don't know, um, sense of community and camaraderie that at the end of the day, they're still like, hey, if you're not working on this game, you're wasting company time. This is time theft. That's a piss poor experience. Yeah. And that's a piss poor way to treat people. And I've heard of shit like that all the time. And it, it just comes down to that assumption that uh, people are 100% productive 100% of the time that they work. So why not increase the amount of time that they work mm. and lessen the amount of downtime because yeah. you're going to get more out of them, right? Mm-hmm. No, you don't. You don't. You get less out of them. Especially when you make them do that kind of shit consecutively. It wears them down. And that needs to stop. Well, and then scaring them on top of that, too. Like, that not only, like, they're already draining themselves creatively and mentally. Like, now they have a layer of exhaustion and anxiety where it's like, well, if I don't do this, my job is at stake. And then they're thus compelled to work harder. Tired workers prone to make more mistakes. That's true. It's historically proven. And then, like, you know, a higher up who isn't there side by side or gives a shit about that kind of thing Mm -hmm. they're gonna be like oh well you know that was on them they didn't care enough not i drove them to this yeah it's that's such a weird way to look at it just that they didn't care enough yeah just that whole story too where it's like stop having cake eat it do it on your lunch when we don't care about what you're doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) your paid time off right fuck you yeah no that was that was one that kind of opened my eyes in a really sad way and i don't know it's I imagine there's a lot more accounts like this that we're going to see over time with Schreier and his kind of sleuthing and expose work. How do you how do you have that conversation? Tell somebody to stop having a cake day because you're ruining a game, mm-hmm. and like not feel like Jim Carrey from Liar Liar before he discovered the uh, the consequences of his own life. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> how do you look yourself in the mirror, Jim I'm, Carrey? <laughs> cake day must have really affected Team Bondi because La Noir was a shoddy, shoddy experience. Hey, they released it four times. They did. And they put on the Switch. Um, so in in the vein of all the sleuthing um, and the sort of um, open atmosphere that Rockstar is not putting forth, we got some more testimonials here. This is um, one that you were trying to reference before. It's um, by Job J. Stauffer. I don't actually know what he did, um, whether it was PR work or coding or art assets. I don't know what he Mystery did. Mystery unsolved. Um, but his handle is at uh, Job J. Stauffer. Quote, it's been nearly a decade since I parted from Rockstar, but I can assure you that during the GTA 4 era, it was like working with a gun to your head seven days a week. Be here Saturday and Sunday too, just in case Sam or Dan come in. They want to see everyone working as hard as them. So that is, that is kind of the idea that, yeah, they were probably perpetuating that idea to an extent. If it wasn't necessarily Sam or Dan, it was definitely like lower level managers on teams being like, hey... We need to make this happen for the, the, the housers. Maybe. I mean, we don't know. We just hear their accounts. Uh, there could be a lot of variations on that exact. Maybe, dude, somebody that works right next to this guy may feel entirely different about Sam and Dan's perception of how his, how their workers should That's act. That's true. But I can see that. I can definitely see that feeling where it's like you're watching these guys bust ass and it's like you got to match your boss's effort. And that's dangerous, like I'm saying. They're fine with working to the bone because they see the biggest payout from it. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's working on it, like, you know, lighting in a game may not see that same payout. Yeah. So how could you expect them to put like 85 hours plus on this? It's like, that's that's impossible. Especially when in their mind, they're probably like, well, I've got the shading or this lighting right for this area. Like, I'm done for the day. And I think there's no (laughs) shame in working your hardest and clocking out at the end of the day and being like, well, that's all I can offer today. Yep. I put in my time. And people shouldn't feel shamed no. by that, even by other people that aren't being mandated for this crunch. You know? Yeah. Uh, another quote here is, 
Quote, 11 years in the industry, and we were frequently asked to volunteer for overtime. And if we didn't, it was noted in your next performance review, which would affect promotions and raises or surviving layoffs. That's coercive. And if, even if not illegal, extremely unethical. Uh, yeah, 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 that would be. That is extremely unethical, like we talked about before. Um, having something like, okay, like I worked 40 hours and I'm good. And then having them determine, hey, you need to work 40 more. And then being like, you're going to lose your job if you don't. That is extremely manipulative behavior. Yeah, pretty much. And that's not fair. Like, the expectation is 40 hours a week. You know, beyond that, it's like, oh, well, no, you're not up for promotion. What the fuck? How, how could you say that, okay, this dude that's putting in 65 hours to, you know, mm. get that OT. Hopefully they're being yeah. paid for OT. Uh, is more productive and better at their job than somebody putting 40 hours. This dude that's doing 40 hours could be putting out the most amazing work mm. every hour he's there. Exactly. And does not need to be there another 15 hours. Yeah, because maybe he streamlines his creativity or his work in a more effective way. But People are different. So, First of all, I think the mindset that um, an employee's willingness to rock themselves over your project or your company mm-hmm. is an asset needs to be thrown out the window Mm -hmm. you need to stop thinking that you know you you have sensible people i would be more sensible about a dude that's like i'm gonna work my hardest in the 40 hours that i'm here than somebody that's just like yeah dude i'll fucking (laughs) i'll be here endlessly every night well i would have to like question them and pull them aside at some point like months or weeks and be like hey like how are things going how's your home life how you know are you doing okay like because i i don't know um as a man like as middle management myself i am very empathetic and i like to know that my workers are in their right mindsets or of their right health and doing the best that they can hmm. outside of work when they bring that life into work. So that's just me. Not everybody is as comp- compassionate. So Yeah, no, there's other people that say, like, you should never bring outside into the yeah. inside of work and, but, like, what, keep your problems at the door, that kind of thing. But there's bleed over. Like, that's inevitable. Yeah, but that's asking people not to be people. I, yeah. <laughs> there's a certain sure. level of professionality that you can exhibit that I would expect for the work floor. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, I... I don't agree with like, you know, you know, when somebody's having a bad day, you know, when somebody's tired, you know, you gotta be conscientious of this shit. If I see somebody who's visibly exhausted or not like doing like the best that they can in a moment, I'm like, Hey, do you need to like take a second, like step off the floor and do your own thing? And like, maybe take a, take a break here. And then you come back and you feel better. Yeah. It's just, it's in fairness. We don't want to make this an open forum for bashing Rockstar because a, we don't know all the facts. This is still a very emerging story. B it's different across everybody's experiences. This isn't, I can't say that this is the mainline experience through and through for Rocksteady. You know, it's 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 case by case. But I don't mind the fact that this has become a platform for this discussion mm-hmm. because it's an important discussion. Yeah. Crunch and what it does and caring about the people that actually produce these products, not just Red Dead, games across the industry is important. I, you know what I was thinking of today? Mm-hmm. I thought about how, you know, I loved the Jurassic Park movies when I was a kid. Okay. And I didn't, you know, I knew the end product. I knew Ian Malcolm. I knew uh, Alan Grant's story. Mm. Ellie Sattler. knew the hat. They knew the hats. John Hammond, the cars, the Ford Explorers that were in the movie. I knew everything about that. But I didn't know about the people that made the movie. Mm -hmm. And I got more interested in that. I found out who Steven Spielberg was. And I was like, okay, this is what a director is. And then you find out, like, oh, Stan Winston did all the puppets for this movie. Interesting. Yeah, of course. That's how they would have to. Dinosaurs aren't real. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it, it, it became so interesting. And it was like, wow, this is a monumentous effort what i'm trying to say is that i feel that there's a lot of people out there that only care about the end product that Mm. we're blinded by our want or need for this game so much that we don't stop to think about the people that brought it to us i thought it it was crazy to think it took seven years to get this game but it makes sense seven years of effort and time and different people rotating in and out Mm. that have lives that made this 
their work life for years and years and years steeped in Red Dead. Mm -hmm. So I give a shit about them. I'm not an eight-year-old anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't just see dinosaurs in front of me. I think about the people that brought that magic to my eyes. Mm -hmm. I think if I'm if I'm going to enjoy like a hundred-hour experience like Red Dead, I'm going to think about like, damn the artist that brought this to me and it does leave a bad taste in my mouth to think that people suffered for a project like this or yeah. different games like that and i don't want that so, no i think it's definitely a call to action with all the people speaking up and the platforms that we have uh to make reinstatement for workers rights and unionizing and making sure that there are better workplace conditions for these people to be creative in i, I think that's only fair moving forward yeah I don't think this is an opportunity to condemn Rockstar. If there's problems, they should improve themselves. And mm. it seems like uh, they're having well, a big rethink on, internally. Well, it seems like even between like um, the Rockstar spouse letter and GTA mm. 4 and all the stuff that happened like back then, they're making strides to create a better environment and culture. Right. Whereas a company like Riot should be torn down brick for brick. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I don't think that there's any credence or worth in saying, well, I'm going to boycott or ban rockstar moving forward like i don't know i want to see the fruits of these labors be paid off i want i know these people that worked hard want this game to land in people's hands and they want people to enjoy it and i want to be able to enjoy it um i want to know that it's delivered to me under better premises but mm -hmm. you know I, that's not going to stop me from enjoying it and enjoying their product in the end so but i want better for this industry and i yeah. will keep on talking about it because this conversation needs to be had because it cannot be ignored mm. and i like that consumers out there wherever you land on it people it's in their line of sight yeah. now you know and that's what's important to me push so, this forward that's the only way we instate change and do better for the people that mm -hmm. work for us and the people that are part of this industry like you got to want to do better you know got to recognize the problem to solve yeah. the problem so a final quote to kind of wrap the bow on the negative side of the story because i do want to get into some good accounts before we kind of tie the bow in the entire conversation but here's a quote that i kind of pulled to put crunch in text i think it was a response to something um andrea renee posted hmm. um it is from john of the dead his handle is at mr negative oh, i follow that guy yeah here's something to consider <laughs> my last cool. deployment was in afghanistan at jalalabad I was pulling 12-hour shifts six days a week and one eight-hour shift on Sunday. That's 80 hours. Those developers were crunching harder than I was, and I was at fucking war. <laughs> so, like, that's just a crazy thing to put it in context that people were pushed so hard when there are literally people out there doing much more important work, and they're not asked to work nearly as hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Seems a little unfair. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not trying to, like, you, you know, I don't want to de-platform or... or... Uh, lessen the importance of the impact of like this art essentially mm. like these people are passionate about the art that they're making no it's i mean it's like any artistic medium or platform where there is importance yeah. to it because people gather meaningful experiences yeah. from it they become influenced they want to in turn make art because of these things yeah i just you know i would feel better yeah. buying these 60 dollar products knowing that uh there was no human suffering <laughs> that went into the making of it. Yeah, that is fair. It, you know, that's all I want, Daniel. Walk into a store, say, give me Call of Duty, and know that it wasn't made on the broken bones of so many countless souls screaming at once. Wow. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> that's my favorite Call of Duty. <laughs> now for some good guys. Um, here's some three quotes that I pulled that I thought kind of show like a, a different light on the whole situation. And I don't know, I think it's important to consider these perspectives too. 
number one, quote, first off, this is one of the most rewarding and least stressful projects I've ever worked on, said Keith Thorburn, who works in the music department at Rockstar North in Edinburgh, Scotland. I know what epic crunch feels like, but this was managed in such a way that I felt happy and healthy. Uh, another one here is from a programmer. goes, I have never worked more than maybe 50 hours a week, and that's a rare occurrence, but I generally work about two to six hours of paid overtime per week, said Vivian Langdon, a tools programmer at Rockstar San Diego. And a final one here, quote, I have been at Rockstar for two years, and I worked on Red Dead Redemption 2, said Danny Bannister, a vehicle artist at Rockstar North. I have never worked anywhere close to 100 hours a week. There was some crunch, sure, but nothing ridiculous. We worked hard on the game, but we weren't being abused. I think the most I did on Red Dead Redemption 2 was 60 hours for one week. Okay. Yeah, it's important to hear all the stories. Because like, mm -hmm. that's, you know, there's different perspectives to this issue. And I would probably listen to people that actually work in the company rather than people condemning people outside of the company. Mm -hmm. There you go. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I do feel like um, we were very quick to jump um, and criticize and condemn from the get-go um, after hearing somewhat of a conflated statement that was maybe taken out of context. Maybe that's not what Hauser meant to say in the first place. Um, people say shit when they're talking for long enough that they don't necessarily mean to say. You know, it is it is yeah. what it is. But I think there was a, a huge knee-jerk reaction across the board from people to just start vlogging rockstar and be mm -hmm. like you guys are the devil we should boycott your game you're not treating your workers right and it's like well let's hear from the people on the inside let's see what's actually happening because we don't know rockstar traditionally has kept very tight-lipped on things the housers don't often do interviews mm -hmm. so like we don't really know what it's like <laughs> no not at all and i hope more of that story pieces together uh especially with jason working on mm -hmm. that jason trier but uh yeah we don't know so i wouldn't be quick to judge but i again like i said i like that a conversation is happening about crunch in general mm -hmm. you know because we we're, we're hearing about it it's endemic it's systemic mm -hmm. and something needs to happen it needs to i won't say stop because sometimes crunch is just an unfortunate byproduct of a development process that mm -hmm. is feels like the wild west yeah that's creative that's creative endeavors mm -hmm. that's what it is you know because like there is no it's not like building a fucking car on a, a you know machine line mm -hmm. essentially even that was kind of complicated yeah i imagine <laughs> model t did, did the best it could for us but it's still complicated still so comp i can't i just can't figure out how to build a car daniel it's, fucking, <laughs> it's the worst but yeah I, I, there needs to be, we need to hear these stories. There needs to be conversations that are happening and not mm -hmm. just by us, not on a consumer side. It needs to happen at these corporations. Mm -hmm. They need to really think like, what are we doing? What, even if it is an instance of like, we need to save face cause we're, we're, we're fucked up. Mm -hmm. Whatever gets you there, just make things better, motherfucker. Well, do it and do it with integrity. Not don't do it just to make yourself look good. Do it because it's something you believe in and you want to protect the health yeah that's what you your, want but again i don't think a corporation can you know? be ethical so even if they do it to save face as long as they're doing it i'm happy <laughs> i'm a realist I, we don't we don't have to be pragmatic about that okay that's, that's a fair point continue being evil go yeah. ahead <laughs> just find another way to suck the souls mm -hmm. out of out of the land i got my closing yeah. thoughts here yeah. I don't know if you want to share some of yours nope. um, as a creative type i don't think there's anything wrong with pouring yourself into something you love as a musician as a writer as at times sound engineer when i do these projects i want to see a good product at the end of the day because it's something i'm proud to put my name on and something i've worked hard for i don't think there's any shame in wanting to work hard for something but don't do it at the expense of yourself don't do it at the expense of your family um and really like 
if you were doing this for years and you come away from a project, reevaluate yourself afterwards. We see a big name in the industry having done this, um, Amy Henning with um, the Uncharted games, like how mm. burnt out she was after working on those, like back mm. to back. And it's like, yeah, no, she really had to reevaluate her life and what she was doing because it was affecting her so negatively. I don't think there's any shame in that. And that's something we need to, to do more often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if something is not for you or something is pushing you to the brink and you're suffering for it, that's a problem. And the other side is look out for the warning flags. Mm-hmm. Look out for companies that are totally okay with preying upon that eagerness to, you know, create and work hard. Because <clears throat> some companies won't, won't say anything. They won't step yeah. in when they see you fucking just draining yourself. Because they're like, yeah, no good. That's the standard. That is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. That's inappropriate and it's inhumane. Think better of yourself. There needs to be better safeguards internally for this shit. Mm-hmm. Because it, you don't want to hear about unions and figure it out yourself, industry. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah, a union's exactly what needs to happen where it says, like, no, you cannot force people to work more than this set amount of hours. And if you do, there's limits to that Mm -hmm. and you have to pay them this, like time and a half, whatever, you know, because that's what's going to come down your way. The more you burn people out, the more that this story spreads like this. Mm -hmm. So get better. It's, it's crazy to me that Rockstar has the <clears throat> ability to do things like this. Because, like, riding the success of a game like GTA V that's made $6 billion, they have the money and assets to put back into their employees. But you look at other studios like uh, Telltale that was cracking under the, imp- the pressure of not having the financials to support these sort of people working overtime and breaking their backs over it. It's just, like, it's, it's two very similar situations, but handled very differently. Mm-hmm. Well, different resources too. Different resources. Telltale wasn't a billionaire. (laughs) No, that that's true. Yeah. No, I feel you. So, I guess uh, then wrap wrap up here is we're very excited for the horse ball game, Mm -hmm. and uh, crunch is bad. Crunch is bad. Crunch is bad. Crunch culture not great either, Mm y'all. Got to rein that shit in. Yeah. Are you stoked though? I mean, October twenty sixth, Red Dead's coming. Yeah, I'm stoked for this game. Yeah. I'm not stoked for the amount of space that it's asking. Nope. I'm not stoked for that 100 gig install at all. That's a lot of hard work right there. Yeah. Anything else you want to say to the roommates, guys? I think I'm a little more appreciative of this game. Of, of If it lands like I hope it mm. does land, I am going to think about the people that fucking broke their backs for yeah. years and years and years to make it happen. I'm super excited for it because playing Red Dead 1, or rather just Red Dead Redemption, um, and seeing the quality <clears> of work that went into that, like it, that's astonishing for a game that came out eight years ago like i can only imagine how amazing this next one's gonna be (laughs) looks like it might astonish but that's all i got for you i think uh let's do some uh end of book housekeeping here we already did it in the middle but let's do it again let's do it again let's sandwich it again we got a few other things we got a twitter by the way at save room show if you want to engage with us there or see us talking about like i don't know jason Voorhees' dick Mm -hmm. all halloween long spookiest thing we could think to post that's all i got for you so if you want to add us there at save room show or send us an email at a save room show at gmail.com if you want to talk about crunch or have any thoughts about it you know drop us a line you just want to talk about bunch crunch that's cool too <laughs> bunch of crunch you used to be my favorite nestle candy it's so good yeah. it's really good uh again otherwise you can find the save room show on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash save room show or spotify or itunes or stitcher or google play but we would really appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review get mm. some more eyes on this bullshit and we can keep this shit show going on forever maybe and if you're on spotify give us a follow too 
Is that what you can do in Spotify? Yeah, you can follow like shows or artists. Follow shows. Yeah. Gotcha. It's weird. They don't show the same metrics for a podcast like they do for like musicians where you get like total like plays overall or you can see the amount of people that follow you. Well, that doesn't make sense because we play jazz. That's true. (laughs) Doing a podcast is exactly jazz. No difference. One for one. Unfortunately, this show is more like acid jazz, which is a little less, you know, commercially acceptable. But we're doing our thing. Really caustic. Really, really caustic. Also, it's cool that we're on Spotify. That's one of the coolest that is, things that's that happened in a really long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm doing a mental high five to it you right now. It was an email. It was an email. It was just an email. <laughs> so, uh, also, Twitch, again, twitch.tv slash redherb. That's me. Twitch.tv slash Dungeons and Daniels. That's me. And we love you guys. Yeah. You're good. Uh, if you've made it this far, we hope to get maybe at least two or three more episodes out to you. Maybe one or two more quick saves and a spooky Halloween episode to kind of cap the month. Huh? Spooky. I, I thought you were going to go into fucking immigrant songs. I thought so too. It started that way. <laughs> I was like, where's he going? Yeah, you can throw that out. Awesome. <laughs> uh, well, hey, thank you, save roommates. And uh, remember, save your games. Good night. <laughs>